1: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice.
0: What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
1: This is the Carriker and Smallman Podcast, powered by iPromise. Now here's Carriker and Smallman.
2: Morning everyone and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701 your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex jeweler happy Cyber Monday <laughs> Michelle I hope you had a great holiday weekend
3: Thanksgiving was great it's, it was such a long and relaxing weekend which feels weird to say, because in 2020, we've been at home, we've yeah. been lounging, <laughs> and and most of the time, Thanksgiving is kind of a hurried pace, everyone's rushing to travel somewhere or get together, but it was nice to to hang out and chill for a few days. It was How-
2: a long weekend, you're right.
3: How about you, Randy? How was your Thanksgiving?
2: Everything was great. Had a couple of different Thanksgiving meals, and everything, we had a different one last night, and everything worked out really well. It was good. So yeah, ate a lot, ate too much. But now getting back into the sports swing of things.
3: Yeah, how was turkey number two? Because as you illustrated on the show last week, you were going to make one turkey for Thanksgiving and then deep fry another one, right? Deep
2: fried last night, yeah, and it it turned out fantastic. If you have not deep fried a turkey, at some point in your life, you need to do it. It's a must. They're great. And it only takes an hour.
3: What's the outside like? Crunchy? It's crispy. Crispy.
2: Yeah, and the inside is so flavorful and juicy. It's sensational. Sounds awesome. So it, it was good. We have quite a day coming up. We are going to remember Jim Hannafin. And if you remember Jim Hannafin, whether it's from something with the football Cardinals or the Rams, or if you remember him for his broadcasting with the Rams, or if you remember him just being out and around, he, he made his way to a few establishments here in <laughs> St. Louis over the years. If you have a great Jim Hannafin memory, we'd love to hear from you. You can use the mic drop feature with the one one ESPN app, or you can text us in the next segment, we're going to talk to Dan Dierdorf coming up at 9 o'clock. And also Steve Weish, native St. and coming up at 9.30 here on 101 ESPN. But we're going to start, Michelle, with baseball. And Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright speaking over the course of the weekend. Yadi speaking to Laura Bonnelly of Masque Pelota. And he said, this is translated... We want to stay in St. Louis. The decision's mutual. I have the motivation to stay as well. Yankees, Mets, Padres, Angels are also interested. I have lots of teams that want my service. In my decision, I'm not looking for too much money. I'm looking for another title. I'd like to have two more years playing baseball. So the question becomes, if he wants to win another title, what's the best baseball spot for Yadier Molina? I have trouble believing that if the main goal is not money but it's a title i have trouble believing it would be st louis
3: i agree and even if there's mutual interests and he understands what his legacy is in st louis and what it will be like with with fans back in the stands and he and he believes the cardinals could compete for a division for the division if he really wants to win a title in his heart of hearts i think he knows that he needs to move on
2: I don't believe that the Angels would be an option. No, you got to cross them want, off the list first. Right, if you want to win a title, they're
3: they're off. I know his brothers there, and Albert Pujols is there. You've got Mike Trout. There's there's a lot of interesting things there. It could be a fun place mm-hmm. for him to play. But again, if winning is the ultimate goal, we need to cross him off the list before the Cardinals.
2: The next one would be the Mets, who have a new owner that mm-hmm. wants to spend and wants to win in a division that seems eminently winnable. The key for them is going to be having their pitching be healthy. But I would think if you have DeGrom and Syndergaard and Mats and Stroman has accepted their offer for... Uh, to stay in New York. I, I would think that the Mets would be pretty intriguing.
3: They would be, especially because as you mentioned with new ownership who has said, hey, we want to win and we're not afraid to spend. If you're looking at the way the team is currently constructed, knowing that there's an owner that in a landscape where the moves can be made and he's got money to spend, might not be afraid to be aggressive and go out there and make them. That should be intriguing for you. George
2: Springer is from the area. He's from Connecticut. They're in the hunt for JT Real Muto. They're in the hunt for Trevor Bauer. Everybody that's a free agent, at least uh, reportedly, is being courted by the Mets. Everybody that's a good free agent is being courted by the Mets. So I, I would have them number three on my list. How about you? Yes, yeah, Sam. My number two team on the list would be the team that beat the Cardinals in the playoffs, the Padres, who are really interesting. If he wants to go go and join a group of young players uh, and be with a young Latin superstar that he can help mold in mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis Jr., he knew when he was a little kid. I, I would think that San Diego, with their climate, with the fact that they're interested in spending and they have a ton of good young pitching, I think they would be really interesting too.
3: The way that I look at the Yadier Molina situation is that he's going to be one of the final pieces to help a team win, and when you look at a team like the Padres, as you mentioned, a lot of young, exciting talent. Having a guy like Yadi come in and provide that veteran presence, uh, here's a guy who knows how to win and wants to win more than anything and is going to push that team to be better all the time, that seems like it could be a, a good fit for him. And it, and it feels like it might be just challenging enough for him to where it's something that he would really enjoy.
2: And one of the best young pitching prospects in baseball is Mackenzie Gore, who they'll bring up next year they have a guy that the Cardinals didn't see in the playoffs in Dendelson LeMet, who got Cy Young votes. Mike Clevenger will be back in a couple of years. They put him on uh, or he had to undergo surgery for uh, a torn UCL. He underwent Tommy John surgery, surgery. but they have Chris Paddock. They have a lot of good young pitchers, and he would seem to be a good fit there to help those guys grow up, too, which is what he's always done, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I have them as number two. Would you rate them the Padres as number two?
3: I would. It seems like our list is the same. Because when you look at the collection of teams that Yachty named, there seems to be one that everybody circles first.
2: And it's the Yankees. Now, would he be able to wear his number four with the Yankees? No, because it was retired for Lou Gehrig. But... Oh, Lou. Yeah. If you want to talk about legacy, though... They haven't been to or won a World Series since 2009. The Cardinals have won a World Series. The Cubs have won a World Series. The Red Sox have won a World Series more recently than the Yankees have. Another team with young pitching. Now, it has to stay healthy, but... A team that clearly is close to winning and is willing to do what it takes to get over the top.
3: Yeah, another iconic franchise that he could play for. A team that's close and they're in an interesting position with Gary Sanchez too. Here's a guy who in 2020 hit 147 and he only started two of their seven playoff games. So they have a choice to make on him. And it seems like if they've lost or if Gary Sanchez has lost favor in New York, bringing a guy like Yadien, in who could help this team in a lot of different ways might be a smart play for the Yankees.
2: I would, if I were the Yankees, I would be really aggressive in trying to bring him in there. With the young pitching that they have, and Debbie Garcia, Domingo Herman, who will be back next year. Uh, last year, their best starting pitcher was Hurt, uh, but I would... And Gary Cole, by the way, has his own personal catcher, so mm-hmm. you don't have to catch him. Yadier would be mad about that, but when you have Judge, and you have Stanton, and you have... Hicks and you, you have Frazier and you have uh, the, the infield that they have, Glaber Torres is a really good player. If they could bring back LeMahieu, they have Luke Voigt, They have so many things going for them. Maybe the best bullpen in all of baseball. I would think that they would be number one for him, too.
3: Oh, absolutely. And if he wants to win a title, first and foremost, it seems like the Yankees is the best shot. But then I would think, secondly, on his list, he's thinking big picture. He's thinking Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And if you can go to a team like the Yankees and succeed there, he's going to get way more exposure um, at this stage of his career in New York than he would here in St. Louis, which is unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah.
2: So... We're on the same page there. So five teams interested, the Cardinals plus Yankees, Mets, Padres, Angels, and we we all agree that the Angels don't have a chance.
3: I wouldn't say they don't have a chance just because of his the, the two people that he's incredibly yeah. close to there with Albert and his brother. Maybe he gets in a position where he thinks, okay, these last two years, I want to really enjoy it. I want to spend time with people that I care about and go out there. But I, I just – think yadi is so competitive that fire burns 24 7 365 it never goes out and it would really bother him i think to still have that fire going to be in the best shape of his life to want to contribute to know he can contribute and to be on a team and in a clubhouse where his his value is not the same while, he, while he'll certainly bring things there it's not going to be the same as it was here in st louis
2: Adam Wainwright also speaking over the weekend to uh, Jesse Rogers of ESPN. Bueno said, I know the nature of the business of baseball with salaries and not sure what revenues will be like next year or the fan situation. St. Louis is very dependent on their fan situation to bring in revenues to offset player costs. They said that and I really believe them. They don't have the billion dollar TV deals that other, some other teams do. He said, they're going to put a winning team on the field. It's going to be interesting to see what they do though. Yadi is a free agent too. We just don't know what they're going to be offering or if they will offer. So clearly that hasn't happened yet. And Wainwright was asked if his time in St. Louis is up. He said, every player has an expiration date. It's just the nature of the game. You will never hear me say a bad word about the city of St. Louis or the Cardinals organization. They've done so much for me. They're amazing people from top to bottom. I've been so blessed. So he he says the Cardinals have not made an offer. He doesn't know if they will make an offer to keep him. But he obviously is going to understand if he has to go somewhere else.
3: And I, I appreciate those comments from Bueno saying, hey, I understand the lay of the land here. I understand how reliant St. Louis is on that ticket revenue and in a pandemic. I believe them when they say that they don't know what the financial situation is going to be and how deeply it's affected them. So we're kind of in wait and see mode because that's the truth of the matter. It's not just with the Cardinals. Yes, it affects the Cardinals more than it affects some bigger market teams, but it's reality. So I appreciate him dabbling in reality. But again, the Cardinals are going to wait and see how things develop. They are in touch with Adam Wainwright. They know him better than anybody. They know that before he makes a decision, he's probably going to consult with the Cardinals to see what they have Mm -hmm. to offer. So they're in a good position there so why would they rush to conclusions jump or rush to an offer with him before they even see what the financial landscape looks like when they know they can wait and see how things develop
2: if i were a team like the yankees with severino and montgomery and cruz and garcia if i had a bunch of young pitchers or if i was like the padres especially with a guy like gore coming along I would want a guy like Wainwright to help lead that staff. And he talked about, Waino did, he and Yachty being a package deal. Mm -hmm. I could see it in New York. I could see it in San Diego. I could actually see it with the Angels. The only place that I could not see both of them going together would be the Mets where they have enough starting pitching. I, I don't think that he would necessarily be a fit there.
3: Do you still think it's likely that they're a package deal? Because I don't.
2: I don't think it's likely. I think it's possible But especially with the revenues, everybody's complaining about the revenues. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that unless those two get really budget deals in their package deal here in St. Louis, I don't see it happening.
3: Yeah, I don't either. And I I could see the deal that he's willing to take here being much more favorable to the club than probably anywhere else.
2: Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on that. Yadi and Wayno speaking over the weekend. It's Carricker and Smallman coming up. Sad news over the weekend. Our friend Jim Hannafin passed away at the age of 87. We're going to give you some of our favorite Hanny memories and we want yours. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you choose to use the Rhino Shield mic drop, we'd love to hear from you. Just download that free 101 ESPN app or if you already have it just press the button and give us a little bit of your voice and your memories of the coach Jim Hannafin that's next
1: on 101 ESPN we're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN
2: Jim Hannafin passed away last Tuesday at the age of 87, the former football Cardinal offensive line coach and head coach. He was the offensive line coach of the Hogs in Washington in the early part of the nineties, came back to St. Louis to be the Rams offensive line coach in 1997. And obviously was the offensive line coach and won another Super Bowl ring in 99 with the St. Louis Rams. Michelle, we were talking during the break and we're going to talk to Dan Deerdorf. Nobody, Nobody got more out of life in 87 years than Jim Hannafin. It's unbelievable that he got to 87. It really is. <laughs>
3: Yeah, talk about a life well lived, Randy. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely, and you know I remember when I first started working with Hanny when I was fresh in, in uh, my producing career here at 101 ESPN, and I would come in to work on Rams games. Or I remember he was doing weekly hits too. The room is just different when Jim Hannifin walks in. Mm-hmm. He he brought such a different and unique energy to any room. He was always in a good mood. He was always upbeat. He always had a story to tell. And it, it's just it's it's so sad to hear the news that he passed away.
2: That's what I'll always remember. And there there are so many memories that I have, but we would go back into our production three area and coach and I would record a segment for the Rams pregame show. Lasted about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to last about 10 minutes. It wound up lasting 15. <laughs> but then we would stay after for an hour and he would tell me stories. And it was just the best. The, the memories are so strong of him and give you a little insight, the very first thing I ever covered as a broadcaster, an intern at KMOX, 1983, December of 1983, they sent me across the street to Bush Stadium to cover a Jim Hannafin press conference the day after the Cardinals had beaten the Raiders, who would go on to win the Super Bowl that year. So the Cardinals go on to beat the Raiders in a, a game towards the end of the season, and I lug this giant fifty-pound cassette machine across the street and set it up at the. And he would sit at the head of a table. It was like a, a giant Thanksgiving dinner, and he would be smoking at the head of the table, and I'm sitting basically at the other end on the side, just trying to, you know, hide away. I, I didn't know him at all, and the very first question he makes his opening statement three, four, five minutes about the the win and how big it was for the team. And the very first question, the Cowboys and Redskins had played the day before. And the very first question from the post-dispatch beat writers was, Hey, did you get, get a chance to see any of the Cowboys Redskins game? What'd you think? And Hanny says, we just beat the blank and Raiders in blank LA. And you want to blank and ask me about the blank and Cowboys, the blank and Redskins blank me. And he goes on for like five minutes. Hanny had no trouble speaking for five minutes and I bring the press conference, which was maybe 35, 40 minutes. I bring it back to the executive producer at KMWX, and I said, I, I got this. I recorded it, but I don't think we can use it. And he, I play it for him the first five minutes. He's, this is gold. We, he was a New Yorker, little New Yorker, Rob Silverstein. This is gold. We got to use this. We got to. And so we put maybe 60, 70 bleeps into this five-minute <laughs> handy segment. But I got a chance to go across the street, so 83. Three eighty four eighty five, 85, uh, Jack Buck was doing the pregame shows and did the games and everything. So I would go record the pregame shows with Hanny. And like most of my career, Jack Buck gave me the stamp of approval with Hanny. And so we, we would always go and he would always tell stories. And it was always great. Fast forward, he gets fired after the 85 season. And I became a Redskin fan when I went to the Super Bowl after the... The Cardinals left Super Bowl 20. I don't even remember what it was, but it was the after the 1987 season. Redskins win and their fans have so much fun that I say, you know what? This is pretty cool. I think I'm going to become a fan of them because Joe Gibbs was their head coach. He had been here. Wayne Severe was their special teams coach. Hanny goes there in 1990 and they start rocking and rolling in 1991. I call Hanny to interview him one time and I said, hey, I'm, I want to come out for a game sometime. He said, hey, just give me a call. I'll get you some tickets. So I take him up on mm-hmm. it. This is er, like early in the season there. They start off 3-0, 4-0. So like the fourth or fifth game, I, I asked for tickets and, and no problem. And then I pick out some games. They're in Kansas City. They're in Cincinnati. They've got a couple in D.C. So I wound, wound up going to like five or six Redskins games in 91 when they were awesome.
3: He got you tickets to all of all them? All of them, oh, yep.
2: The best. So then w- I always stayed in touch with him. And when he came here... With Vermeil' staff, and that was an intimidating staff, a bunch of former head coaches, he would he took me to each of the head coaches and he'd go, I've known Randy since he was this tall. And he put his hand <laughs> three feet above the ground. Said, this is a good guy to every single one of the, those coaches. And that's what legitimized me uh-huh. with people like Dick Vermeil and with Bud Carson and with uh, Peter Junta, the, the entire staff. Because Hanny took care of me. And he, he did so many people, but I owe so much to him because he legitimized me.
3: Yeah, I imagine that if Jim Hannafin takes the time to walk somebody around and give his fellow coaches, his peers, the stamp of approval on someone in the media, that's something that those other people are going to take to heart. They're going to say, "Okay, if, if Hanny trusts this guy, so do we. But I think it's so interesting what you said about the press conference where you had to insert all the bleeps, because when I first started producing for Hanny, we would be before the show or in a commercial break and he's a prolific storyteller, so mm-hmm. he would be telling all these stories, and everybody's like a magnet to Hanny, just so locked into the stories, and you're laughing, you're having a good time, then we say, okay, we're counting into the segment, we're going to be live on air, I would go back to the producer's booth, he would start talking on the air, and again, you're so magnetized to what he was saying, and then I would think, oh my gosh, I hope he doesn't <laughs> swear on the air, because that's my job, to, to dump it, if he swears, but um, he never did, at least on my watch, which was good, but that was always something that I was on high alert for, I was like, don't get so lost in the story that if he drops uh, a word he's not supposed to, that he that you don't mess up.
2: When he was doing color on games, and it was color, it wasn't. It was beyond yes. analysis. It yes. was color, but they had to have a double dump. So <laughs> normally we have like a seven second delay. They had a second seven second delay for Hanny.
3: I love that so much. But that just tells you how in the moment he was, right? Mm -hmm. He was just so genuine. So passionate. So passionate, so genuine that it didn't matter if he was, you know, sharing a beverage with a friend or if he was on live radio, he was going to say what he felt.
2: One quick story, and this was printed in his book and it came up on the Big Red STL website over the course of the weekend. One time in the late 70s, he was with a bunch of scouts and coaches got a car deal and he had the car that week. And one of the coaches decided to go from Kelly's corner, which was his hangout in the city. They wanted to go over to the east side. There was a place that they really liked. And he doesn't know how to get there. He hadn't been there. So the other scouts all go there and he gets lost in East St. Louis and it's late at night and he doesn't know where he's going and he gets stuck at a train track. The the train is coming, the gates come down and he's really tired and he falls asleep with this 200-car train at the wheel of his car with his foot on the brake. As he falls asleep, his foot comes off the brake, and his car starts inching forward, and it starts literally slicing the front of the oh, car. The train? And yeah, the, the, the train's wheels, tires, really sharp on the train track, just start uh, slicing the, the front of the car, just whack, whack!" And he wakes up, realizes what's happening, and apparently the 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 wheels had cut like half the engine, but it was somehow still running. It the first the first foot of the car, or whatever. He puts it in reverse and was able to to get out and and back up. But we talk about him making it to eighty seven. It's just unbelievable.
3: Wow, what a story!
2: Yeah, so Dan Dierdorf will have some for us when he joins us at nine o'clock. They were best of friends, and, family. Yeah. And I have uh, I have one with me and Dan and Hanny that I will have Dan tell at nine o'clock because it was a lot of fun.
3: We have some from the text line, Randy. Would you like me to yes. read them to you? Yeah. Um This was this is from the six three six. Hanny was always out and about in Cottleville. He would sit and talk with anybody. He was so funny.
2: He was the best, and he had a, a row of bars. Ray Ogus, a former Rams assistant coach, would be Hanny's driver in uh, later years and they had down 94 a group of like a half dozen bars that they would go to and they knew everybody because (laughs) hannafin did know everybody he never met a stranger right right so uh, Cottleville, yeah he had a lot of good times out there
3: This one from the 573, I got to meet Coach Haney when I was a guest on Rich Gould's fan show on Channel 11 (laughs) years ago. We got to talk for a few minutes before, during, and after the show. Coach was a treat. He signed his book and gave it to me, and it's something I'll always treasure.
2: That's fantastic.
3: And then here's one more from the 314, last one. I went to college with Jim Hannafin's daughter. I used to pick her up from their house and drive her to college and back on holiday weekends, and Hanny could not have been a more nice, down-to-earth, and accommodating man.
2: As nice as it got. Uh, One other quick one for you. One time early on in the fast lane was me, DeMarco, and Rammer. And DeMarco and I are debating who was the better pass rusher, Lawrence Taylor or Andre Tippett, who was up for the Hall of Fame and I believe made the Hall of Fame that year. And DeMarco's saying, oh, Andre Tippett was as good as Lawrence Taylor. I said, no, Lawrence Taylor was the best ever. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. And uh, I said, well, let's just ask somebody you respect. Who do you respect? I don't know. How about Hanny? Can we call Hanny? Yeah, I'll, I'll listen to Hanny. So I get our producer to call Jim Hannafin, just right off the bat. And uh, I said, Hanny, we're having this debate, and we want to know who's a better pass rusher between Andre Tippett and Lawrence Taylor. And Hanny says, Are you kidding me? It was Lawrence Taylor. He's the best that ever lived. And DeMarco is beside himself. And I, I'm, I've got my hands in here. Yes, yes. And then he's telling us all these Lawrence Taylor stories about how great LT was. He was, his stories were unbelievable. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hear at least a couple from Dan Dierdorf that are legendary when he joins us at 9 o'clock. But next up here on 101 ESPN, Michelle and I will bring you four downs. We'll tell you
1: uh, four big parts of the NFL weekend next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: All right, time for four downs. Here is First Down. All right, Michelle, I've been on that Giants bandwagon. Tanner (laughs) just told us that Daniel Jones got hurt. Joe Judge hoping that his Giants quarterback will be able to go next week in a game at Seattle. But even if they have Daniel Jones, they probably aren't going to win at Seattle. Then they get Arizona at home on December 13th. Arizona and Kyler Murray trying to play in cold weather didn't go so great Mm -hmm. yesterday in New England then a game against the Browns, then they go to Baltimore, and then they have Dallas. The big advantage the Giants have is that they've already beaten the Washington football team twice, and the Washington football team has a tough schedule too. Both of those teams now are 4-7. and seven. Washington will have to play the 49ers next week. Now, that might be at Arizona. They can't play at home in uh, San Francisco, Santa Clara anymore, so it might be in Arizona. It's not going to matter. To The Washington football team Then Washington has to play the Seahawks They have the Panthers and the Eagles left And those teams have A half game lead right now If the Eagles Can win tonight, half game lead over the Eagles If the Eagles lose tonight, it'll be a game and a half The Giants or The Reds, the Washington football team
3: Good save.
2: Thank you very much Are going to win that division And who would have thunk it three weeks ago It's all going to come down to the health of And the hamstring of Daniel Jones. (laughs) If Daniel Jones is healthy, the the Giants are going to win that division. (laughs) No pressure. Not at all.
3: No pressure Danny Dimes, as they call him. But yeah, the NFC East, all of a sudden, even though we're talking about a, a pair of four and seven teams, Randy, we're, they're going to have some interesting and meaningful matchups coming up.
2: And how about Alex Smith playing oh. for a division title?
3: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I just, I can't get over his story. I can't get over his comeback. Are, are you still like this, though? Anytime you see him out there and, and he gets hit or he falls down, I kind of brace for impact. I win. I'm like, is he okay? Is he all right? Me he too. Gets, pops right back up. He's all right. But still, I, knowing what he's endured and all of the obstacles he had to overcome. The guy almost lost his leg. He could have died. And he's out there playing. So kudos to Alex Smith.
2: I was saying on Thursday, I wonder if defensive players are cautious when they hit him.
3: That's a great point. I wonder too. That's a great point. (laughs) I would be too. I wouldn't want to be the person to to re-injure him. Snap
2: that leg again? No no
3: way. I would just push him a little.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Second down.
3: Okay, Randy, let's talk about the Cleveland Browns, okay? They did just enough to beat the Jaguars yesterday, but they got the W. They beat Jacksonville 27-25. to 25. They had Miles Garrett out on the COVID list. Denzel Ward was out with that calf injury. And because of the, the the people that they were missing, Mike Glennon, yes, the Mike Glennon from 2017. He threw for 235 yards, two touchdowns. But on the other side of the ball, we had another interesting quarterback perfor- performance, another polarizing outing from Baker Mayfield, okay? Okay. He completes 19 of 29 passes, 258 yards, a pair of touchdowns, But then he also has a pair of head-scratching throws, like that huge overthrow to a wide open and in the end zone, Rashard Higgins, Randy, in the first half. How open was he? According to Next Gen stats, he had a 10.44. He had 10.44 yards of separation from the nearest defender when the pass arrived. Not great. But in my opinion, the reason we're talking about the Browns today is that this W took them to an 8-3 record, and with five game left, five game left on the schedule they're guaranteed at least a 500 season so this means the browns have clinched their first non-losing season in 13 years it's been 13 years since they've had a non-losing season their 12 straight years finishing under 500 was tied for the second longest in nfl history only the bucks from 83 to 96 had a longer stretch of consecutive losing seasons so even though they they have some key pieces out some questionable moves by their quarterback and they barely beat jacksonville there's reason to rejoice randy in the factory of sadness
2: don't you feel good for long-suffering fans because we were i feel so good for browns fans today
3: absolutely i think about all those years of misery that we had here in st louis Mm -hmm. watching those rams teams and i think this is a fan base a passionate fan base that hasn't even sniffed a winning season in over a decade
2: yeah it kind of sucks that. This is the year. They can't come to games and enjoy that stuff. But at least they get to, to have a at least a 500 season and probably a winning season. Good for them. There you go. <laughs> I, I looked up one other point, by the way. You mentioned 13 consecutive seasons of not winning. Since their first three years in the league in 1960, the Minnesota Vikings have not had three consecutive non-winning seasons. They they have won consistently, and they've never had more than two losing seasons in a row. Pretty incredible. Impressive. It is. Third down. All right, Michelle, you mentioned the Jaguars, who fired their general manager, Dave Caldwell, yesterday after losing 10 in a row. Shad Khan, (laughs) who was going to buy the St. Louis Rams, bought the Jaguars for the 2012 season. And in nine seasons, outside of going 10-6 and and um, what turned out to be a lucky run to the AFC championship game, the team's best record in nine years has been 6-10. and ten. They lost their 10th in a row yesterday. They're 1-10 this season. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar, the Jaguars are asking Jacksonville to finance improvements to their stadium to uh-huh. extend their lease.
3: Yeah, I may remember a scenario like that.
2: Team president Mark Lamping, we know Mark well, who got the stadium built for the Cardinals, has the job of asking the government for the money. And he told the Florida Times Union, if you're going to be making a long-term extension of a lease, there needs to be certainty that you're going to have an NFL-quality stadium during the term of the extension. That's obvious, no different than when the Jaguars came to Jacksonville. He went on. The NFL wasn't going to bring a team here in 1995 and have them play in the old Gator Bowl. That hasn't changed at all. That question needs to be answered. That's why we've been raising this for the last couple of years, so we're getting ahead of it going to the league now and trying to get a lease extension without a stadium solution is going to end up not where we want it to end up. He talked about how just small parts of the lot j proposal their version of ballpark village such as building on an existing parking lot and replacing it with another parking lot impacts the lease and would be subject to review by multiple nfl owner committees i'm like the nfl is being complicit again he said a lease extension has to go to a vote of the owners that requires a three quarters vote that same provision would apply as it relates to the extension of our lease And to tell you, there's no way the NFL would even consider a long-term extension of the lease with Jacksonville without a long-term solution for the stadium. So he's kind of saying what Eric Grubman had to say to us. But now Mark Lamping is put in that position of having to be complicit with NFL owners in trying to hijack a bunch of money from Jacksonville.
3: So the London Jacks?
2: That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's ridiculous that... The city of Jacksonville has already given an awful lot to the Jaguars, and now they just ask for more and more and more. And by the way, they've they're, they've taken a year, a game a year out of Jacksonville, and are trying to take two games a year out of Jacksonville. I think by the end of this, it'll be eight games a year that are out of Jacksonville.
3: I would agree. And
2: by the way, it ain't happening
0: here.
3: I was just going to ask you that because anytime that something like this pops up, people want to try to desperately connect the dots between Lamping and Khan and St. Louis and say, oh, I think that this is a play for them to come back to St. Louis. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make it happen. The NFL doesn't want St. Louis and the decision makers in St. Louis, they don't want the NFL, right, Randy?
2: That's 100% correct. The NFL has already done their damage here in St. Louis, and even if... There is a desire on the part of the league to use St. Louis as leverage. St. Louis isn't going to do that. We've we've been down that road and the leadership of St. Louis, it's not the fans, but the corporate and political leadership is not going to allow it to happen. By the way, here's some some quotes from Shad Khan from several years ago when the Rams moved talking about the uh, the market Because Jim Thomas asked him about the possibility of moving the Jaguars here. He said that uh, from Champaign, Illinois, he said... uh, Hold on, let me get to it. Uh, Okay. He said... St. Louis was one of the big hubs of TWA and American Airlines. You know, Ralston Purina, Monsanto, Anheuser-Busch. I remember we had the Explorer plant, the Ford Explorer plant, gone. The Chrysler minivan plant, gone. And we still have the GM plant. He said it used to be a huge automotive center. It changed. And all the corporations are gone. All those corporate headquarters, not there anymore. I mean, NFL football, the corporate sponsorships, sponsorships, that premium revenue is huge. And according to Khan, it wouldn't be here now. So, no, it's not going to happen, certainly not with that ownership here in St. Louis. But there's no way that the leadership of St. Louis and the NFL are coming together again.
3: No, not going to happen.
1: Fourth down.
3: All right, Randy, let's close out four downs talking about our team. Yes, the Miami Dolphins, our newly minted team here on Carrigan's Moment. So last week, our story was about Brian Flores and his decision to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick for Tua in the fourth quarter versus the Broncos. Didn't work that week. Tua was still out for yesterday's game with a thumb injury, so he got Fitzmagic again. It was his first start since week six, and this time it did work as the Dolphins beat the Jets 20 to 3. But it kind of didn't matter who was under center for the Dolphins this week, Randy, because A, they're playing the Jets, and B, <laughs> It's really all about Miami's defense. The unit had two interceptions, six forced punts, and they suffocated the Jets all afternoon, shutting them out in the final three quarters of the game. And with this win, the Dolphins are sitting at 7-4. and four. They remain in second place in the AFC East, and they're still in the AFC playoff picture. We don't know about Tua's left thumb, if that's going to heal enough for him to return to the starting lineup on Sunday versus Cincinnati, but they need that win because after that, Randy, our Dolphins face the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Raiders, and the Bills. you Tough schedule to close it out. But if Miami continue to, to get competent performances from either quarterback and their defense continues to play at this caliber, those final four games are going to get really interesting for our fins.
2: I'm going to tell you something that might sound crazy, but the defense for the Dolphins really matches up as well as any defense in the league does with Kansas City. Oh. They're capable of beating the Chiefs with the two great corners. They get a pass rush. They can get a pass rush up the middle. They've got athletic guys on the edge to kind of keep Mahomes within a semblance of a pocket. They're a team that's capable of beating Kansas City. You heard it here on... November 30th. The the Dolphins, our Dolphins, are capable of beating the Chiefs.
3: And this isn't just a homer play as Randy, a, a, clearly a Dolphins fan. This is something well, from knowledge, right?
2: Oh, yeah. This isn't
3: with your heart. This is with your head.
2: Hey, w- we've analyzed as lifelong Dolphins fans. <laughs> we have analyzed this defense through and through for Absolutely. years. And this is their best opportunity to beat a great team in many, many years. That's four downs on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780.
1: Michelle and I have Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
4: We
2: want your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Tanner Hendrickson, our producer engineer today. And it is time for Take It or Leave It. And Michelle at MLB.com, there is a piece by Will Leach about every team's biggest free agent after 2021. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that are familiar to us. Albert Pujols, Lance Lynn, Adam Adovino, Tommy Pham, plus Clayton Kershaw and Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa. Will Leach lists the Cardinals' biggest free agent after 2021 as Carlos Martinez. Take it or leave it. While we're all looking for 2020 to come to an end, the Cardinals can't wait until 2021 is over.
3: I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. I think maybe internally they're saying, hey, let's get a countdown calendar going. It's not that much longer. We're going to have to deal with this. Uh, Take it or leave it. They have made several calls trying to offload him to another team. Oh,
2: I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, there's very little doubt that the Cardinals would love for him to wind up in another uniform.
3: Don't know if it's going to happen, though. I doubt it. I doubt it, because I imagine that other teams are looking at Carlos Martinez the same way that we are.
2: If you're a general manager of another team, how do you go to your owner and say, yeah, I want to spend this $10.5 million on this guy?
3: You can do it. You might be out of a job.
2: Yeah, don't Fight don't die on that hill.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anybody would. That's no. the problem. Um, okay, Randy. So I've been watching a lot of English Premier League soccer, and you know we are a soccer city, so we need to be up on soccer. But I'm a Leicester City fan now, so I've been watching a lot of soccer. And take it or leave it, relegation needs to come to America. Take it. I'm watching a lot of soccer and a lot of football over the weekend, and the Jets relegate them. The Lions? I'm sick of you guys being terrible. Relegated. There needs to be consequences for teams being bad and for franchises being inept for a long time. And maybe this is my St. Louis Rams PTSD coming out. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about the Browns last segment and they... they are essentially a non-factor for 12 years. There needs to be consequences for that. Now, owner here would never do it because in the EPL, you lose, you know, $200, 250000000 million per season if you get relegated. Right. But imagine being a fan base, and even if your team is bad, those games at the end mattering. They mean something because you could get relegated if your yeah. team doesn't win.
2: Wouldn't that be fun? And you could just relegate four teams. And have them play in a little round-robin tournament during the course of the season. And then have 28 teams that are maybe 26. Maybe relegate six teams. So you have those teams and play three games every weekend. I think
3: that would be fun. I think it would be great. Yeah. I don't know if you could do it in football, even though it would be nice. But I think in baseball, if you're looking for a way to spice up baseball, that could certainly be a play there now again owners are never going to do it because they don't want to risk losing the money if they're not competitive mm-hmm. but wouldn't that be interesting for teams not being able to tank
2: yeah it, and mlb is already trying to eliminate minor league teams why not eliminate some of theirs too <laughs> <There you go. laughs> tanner hendrickson what do you got for us
5: Take it or leave it if Yachty and Weino are a package deal, and let's say they go to the Angels. They go to the Angels. And then the Angels trade for Blake Snell, who's rumored to be on the market. It makes them the favorites in the AL West.
2: I'm going to leave it. I think they still need one more starting pitcher.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: They, they're they not great. They've got Trout and they've got Rendon. Justin Upton has been terrible. I don't know if if he can play. Joe Adele did not have a great first year, although they Probably have to move a guy like I don't Tampa doesn't need a guy like Adele. They they need some other things in in Anaheim besides just a couple of starting pitchers and a catcher.
3: Not just not just one easy fix. No. Yeah, it's an overhaul. Okay, Randy, let's go to the text line. How about this one from the 618? NFL teams should be relegated to the XFL. Take it or leave it. Oh,
2: take it. Yeah, that's a great idea.
3: I love that idea.
2: Wouldn't that be fun?
3: That would be super fun. All of a sudden, the Jets are playing the Battle Hawks. Yeah. Or the Battle Hawks get good enough that they get promoted.
2: Yeah, let's go Hawks. Let's go.
3: Let's go. That would be amazing. All right, take it or leave it. Hanny was the best O-line coach ever.
2: Yeah, I'll take that. And I don't know if it's close. Joe Bugle, who preceded him with the skins, was good. Really good. But I think if you go to most football people, they would agree that Hanny was the best offensive line coach in the history of the league.
3: You got to take it. You got to take that one. This one from the 636, Randy. Take it or leave it. Any team that shares a state with those dirty, nasty Vipers is disgusting and should be treated as such. You guys should be ashamed for picking the Dolphins.
2: I'm going to leave that. This is like St. Louis, Kansas City, except further away. So no, I'm not going to, I will take umbrage with your suggestion that Miami and Tampa are somehow close or that Dolphins fans and dirty rotten scoundrel Vipers fans are somehow in the same boat. It just doesn't work that way.
3: Yeah, should the entire state of Florida have to deal with the sins of the Vipers? That seems unfair.
2: No. Hey, and I, I hate the Vipers as much as anybody, but I'm not going to throw a blanket over the entire state.
3: Yeah, Florida's got enough problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's not make them all responsible for the Vipers.
2: Right. How can we say anything bad about Ryan Fitzpatrick?
3: You can't really. It's Fitzmagic.
2: He is. He went to Harvard. He suffered here with us as a member of the Rams. He's He's been smart enough to stay in the AFC East except for going to New England at some point but he's bounced around pretty well in that division. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, this one from the 3 on 4 Randy. This one's really interesting. Take it or leave it, the Angels are closer to winning a World Series than the Cardinals are.
2: Ooh, that is interesting. And I'm going to leave that because I still think there's a place for pitching in baseball. And the Angels have Dylan Bundy as a starting pitcher, and they have, um, they have Dylan Bundy as a starting <laughs> pitcher. Oh, Atani if he can get Ohtani going, that'd be good. But man, it's been a long time since he pitched.
3: I also think the division is going to say a lot for the Cardinals. I think a lot of teams in the NL Central are in a precarious spot and that could benefit the Cardinals in a, yeah. in a year where they're kind of in wait and see mode. Yeah. Cause all you have to do is get hot and get in Well, yeah. as we've seen.
2: And if the Cubs do disassemble, which we have every reason to believe they will, this division is not going to be as difficult as winning the AL West. No. Right.
3: Okay, last one, Randy. This is from the 314. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals would pay the full $10.5 million salary just to dump Carlos Martinez to another team.
2: I'm going to leave it because if they would do that, then you'd play, pay the $10.5 million just to cut him. Yeah. And I don't think that they will, especially after dumping the Cecil contract. And I know it was prorated. There wasn't as much to pay him, but the Cardinals are reticent to dump those sorts of deals and, and swallow money. They've never really done it, so especially not now. No, uh, so I, I don't think they will. Uh, matter of fact, I think they'll probably bring Martinez to camp and have him projected as a member of their team.
3: As a member of the rotation, are we going to do this whole song and dance again? The, he has learned from his mistakes. He's taken responsibility. He's prepared for a starter. This is something he's earned. We're going to reward him again. Game.
2: Yes, I cool. think. Can't have, wait. He, if you sign wayno he would have to compete because my assumption would be that you'd have Flaherty, Gomber, Wainwright. But then you're, and if Michaelis is healthy, he'll be there. And I don't mm-hmm. know, he's projected to be healthy. But then you have a group with Martinez, Ponce de Leon, Reyes that I would imagine would buy for the fifth spot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, and we know how intensely competitive he is, Carlos is. So he'd probably win the job and go out and win. If they play 150 games, win 15 games for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. You got it, And uh, thank you, uh, Tanner. Let's move on here with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who, are, you know what we'll do. We're going to talk a little bit about Yachty. Could he, if he moves somewhere, we're talking about moving to the Angels, for example, could Yachty change the balance of power
1: wherever he decides to go in their division? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carricker and Smallman's Fresh Tea, Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today.
0: As you
6: posed the question with Ryan Braun, now we pose the question here with Yachty Is this his final cardinal at Bat at Bush Stadium? Miles and miles that think it's hopefully not the last one. If it is. It's a triple play. It's a triple play turned by the Milwaukee Brewers. That's no way to end. Bring it back.
2: Dan and Ricky on FS Midwest at the end of the 2020 Cardinal season. It's 8.04. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Carricker and Smallman. And Michelle, over the weekend, Yadier Molina said to a an outlet down in the Dominican that there are four other teams interested in his services, in addition to the Cardinals. You've got the Padres, you've got the Angels, so two Southern Californias, and you've got the Yankees and the Mets, the two New York teams. And you look at what Yachty has done in the past and what he's capable of doing with young pitching, and I get the sense that in three of the four places that he could go that aren't St. Louis, he could shift the balance of power in divisions. I think the only place where he would go where he doesn't change the balance of power and doesn't put his team perhaps at the top of the division is with the Los Angeles Angels, who last year finished fourth in their division, and I, I don't think they're as good as the Rangers are over the course of a long season they'll get better under Joe Madden but I just don't see them as being right there with Houston and Oakland at the moment
3: now are you saying that his individual performance is going to shift the balance of power or that the far-reaching effects of Yadier Molina the ripple effects of Yadi, will be enough to shift the balance of power
2: the ripple effects it's making people like Cruz and Garcia and if he comes back Severino better with the Yankees it's making those pitchers who have all the talent in the world with the Mets better. And by the way, I believe the Mets are going to be dramatically different heading into 2021, and especially a franchise like the Padres, where you have so many good young pitchers that he can influence. Not that they would be better than the Dodgers, but I think the Padres could be the second best team in the league if Molina is there.
3: Interesting, Yeah, it's, you look at a team like that, they have a lot of young talent. It's an exciting team. They're good anyway. But sometimes a team like that just needs a veteran guy who knows how to win and who will raise expectations. Not only will he impart wisdom upon pe- people on the team and f- make them better, think about the competitive drive of or Molina. And if you're a young team, think about the Cardinals who— many times this season talked about Yachty and how impressed they were with what he was able to do night in and night out. After he had tested positive for COVID, he comes back and he doesn't miss games. This is just a guy that wants to play all the time. And because of that, he raises the expectations for his teammates and their level of play. And I can imagine that... Going into a place like San Diego or a place even like New York that he could certainly change the clubhouse dynamic a little bit in a positive way. You know, I was listening to that podcast, The Edge, about right. the Houston Astros. Danny Mack had Ben Writer, the Sports Illustrated writer who obviously wrote about the Astros and who was the narrator of the podcast on, which was a great interview. You can hear that on the app, on, on demand, on the 101 ESPN app. But and this is a bad comp because we know they were cheating and we know that Carlos Beltrón ended up being kind of the ringleader with the cheating scandal but they talked Jeff Luna was interviewed in that and they talked about how they had a very talented young team but they needed a veteran presence to come in and sometimes teach guys how to win and i look at Yadier Molina and the same exact uh, vain as I do uh, uh, Carlos Beltran without the cheating in that scenario. But I think that's very appealing to a lot of other organizations.
2: Here's the quote from Yachty with Laura Bonnelly of Masque Palota. We want to stay in St. Louis. The decision's mutual. I have the motivation to stay as well. Yankees, Mets, Padres, Angels are also interested. I have lots of teams that want my services. In my decision, I'm looking for. I- I'm not looking for too much money. I'm looking for another title. I'd like to have two more years playing baseball. The Yankees clearly give him the best opportunity to win another title because they're a contender for that title every year. However, with the way Yachty rises to the occasion in the postseason, wouldn't he be a guy where if you're the Dodgers and you see all the talent that the Padres have, you'd hate to face him in a playoff series? Because when you have Machado, when you have Tatis and Margot, the way he stepped up come playoff time, Really, all they need is a catcher to round out their starting eight.
3: Do you think that his value is greater elsewhere than it is in St. Louis?
2: From a winning standpoint, it is, clearly.
3: Now that we're talking about it, it does seem as... we, We know what Yachty provides here in St. Louis. This is in no way diminishing his value to the Cardinals. But if his main goal is to win, and you have other teams that just need one other ingredient to hopefully push them over the edge, and you have a proven winner, and a guy who can still perform in Yachty or Molina, it seems like... the more we talk about this and the more the days peel off the calendar, I'm convincing myself more and more that he's not returning to St. Louis.
2: I think that's a good way to prepare yourself mentally.
3: Now, Adam Wainwright's a different story. I think he's probably more inclined to come back to St. Louis and they're probably more inclined to bring him back because of the, the financials. But I just... Keep thinking. If Yadis is saying, there's even though he, he prefaced everything by saying, I, I want to be in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, there's mutual interest, but these are the things that I want. It seems like both of those things can't make sense at the same time.
2: And it is one thing to say that the Mets have called, but the Mets called G, uh, JT Real Muto first. Let's be real about this. They wanted and want Real Muto the... Nationals are also interested in JT, and I think Yachty would likely be a fallback if indeed the Nationals or somebody else would sign Real Muto, then the Mets would probably enhance their interest. But they are going to sign Yachty or Molina before Real Muto is off the market.
3: As a fan, just take off your media hat, take off your Cardinal hat. If he's not in St. Louis, just from a baseball fan standpoint, where would you like to see him play? Yankees. Me too. Same.
2: I would think he would enhance his legacy there i believe and the yankees this year finished seven games behind tampa and they had all kinds of injuries if he's the yankees catcher over the course of 162 game season or 154 not a 60 game season i believe the yankees are better than tampa and would probably be the favorites heading into the postseason if they can keep Garrett Cole healthy.
3: Don't you think Yankee fans would love Yachty? Love his intensity, intensity, love his attitude. Yeah,
2: he'd fit it right in there. Yeah, they would. Michelle, another big win for Mizzou. And they're ahead of schedule, by the way. 41-0 over Vanderbilt on Saturday. But the big story of the game was Sarah Fuller, the first female to play in a Power 5 conference game. She had the kickoff to start the second half. And after the game talked about what her message is to people after she became the first woman to play in a power five conference football game
5: i mean i just want to tell like all the girls out there that you can do anything you set your mind to like you really can and if you have that mentality all the way through like you can do big things
2: another glass ceiling shattered as she got out there and she didn't have an opportunity to kick an extra point or a field goal, but it was a female that got into a college football game and that just hadn't happened before.
3: That was incredible to see her play in a power five game. Uh, like you said, glass ceiling shattered, which is incredible. And I love that. That's, her messaging after the game it wasn't about her it was about the greater purpose to young girls out there who have probably thought that hey i can't do that it's never existed she realizes the magnitude in that moment and i I appreciated her words there but i was hoping that she would get to kick a field goal an Mm -hmm. extra point because she did say after the game that she made a field goal uh from as far away as 38 yards in practice earlier in the week so i would have liked to see her get that opportunity but i just thought it was very cool of vanderbilt to give her that opportunity and i I thought it was very cool the way that everyone on both sides handled it. And and congrats to Sarah Fuller.
2: And we know how classy Eli Drinkwitz, the Mizzou coach, is who went up to her before the game.
3: So he came up to me and he said, hey, I'm a, a dad of four
5: daughters and they're watching today. And this is just incredible what you're doing. And that's been like the most amazing thing is I've had coaches come up to me, dads come up to me and say like, You're inspiring me and you're inspiring my daughters. And I just think that's so amazing.
2: Isn't that great? And it's cool that a coach like Drinkwitz before the game would come up to her and be so positive.
3: But when you're a girl dad, you understand what that moment is like. When you go home at night and you have four daughters who spent their Saturday afternoon watching football and you get to tell them, hey, Look what happened today. History was made today. And if that's something that you want to do, now it's a possibility because representation does matter. It really, really does. And so if I could, I already love Coach Drink, but if I didn't like him enough already, now we love him even more.
2: Mizzou wins 41-0 over Vanderbilt and Ohio State just dodging a bullet this week with COVID-19 because they were going to get beat, weren't they? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: So the I L L I and I didn't get a chance to play.
3: Yeah, you know that there was going to be upset special, Randy. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, actually, you know, that's a game where you look at it on the surface and you say, "Oh, this could, this is going to be a blowout. Could be a trap game. Could be a trap no game." No doubt. You know, if Levy gets that defense going, you never know. Ohio State could overlook them. Yeah. Mm could happen since yes, it didn't happen Squint i can say hard. that <laughs> <laughs> Squint went real hard yeah
2: that's today's fresh take on 101 espn coming up are the blues going to be playing in
1: the foreseeable future we're going to ask chris kerber that next on 101 espn we are right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by BoardWalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. BoardWalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardWalkHardwood.com.
2: Over the weekend, Pierre Lebrun of the Athletic tweeted that there has been ongoing contact and discussions between some NHL and NHLPA officials, but no developments of note. This upcoming week looms large. Chris Kerber does join us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. Great to have you with us. How are you doing,
0: Randy? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Hope you guys had a great weekend.
2: It was terrific. Thanks. Hope your Thanksgiving was well. So. I, I want to get your opinion on this upcoming week looming large. Do you, do you think it looms large in regards to having a 2021 NHL season at all?
0: Uh, I don't know that it looms that large. I, I think where it looms large is at least getting a little more progress towards getting the start of the season. And, you know, there are certain realities. And, and one of the the biggest ones is the fact that even though both sides got together and found a way to extend the CBA back in late July and, and, and August, the reality of it is, is I think so much of that financial planning was predicated on being able to put some fans in stands at the, at least a, sometime during the beginning of this season. And that just looks more and more unlikely. And so that, I think, still requires some financial discussions and agreements between the two sides on how you're going to do it. Um, I, I think the idea of losing a season doesn't even sit uh, because I just don't think you can when every other sport is playing. But having said that, you know, to me, Randy, a big part that people need to remember is because of the way the CBA is structured, the players and the owners split 50% of the revenue. So 50 to the owners, 50 to the players. You know, if, if the owners paid out a full salary cap of 81 million across 30 teams, you're talking $2.4 billion. Well, you know, do the math if your revenue is only $1 billion, That would mean you split that 50-50, that's $500 million. The players would end up owing the owners quite a lot uh, if that's the case. And so there is an interest on the player's side to figure out how to do this as well. But I, I think you're in kind of that negotiation stage just trying to figure out just how to structure it. And from a timing standpoint, they are going to have to get it going if they are looking at an early January start.
3: Kirk, do you think that's still the target early January? Because we're sitting here, and it's almost December, so you would imagine that if that was the case, we'd hear something soon.
0: You know, I talked to Craig Berube, and he seemed to think that, it and and, and I, I, did, I, I thought it would be at least three weeks for a training camp, but I talked to him, and he seemed to think that, yeah, they could get through a training camp pretty well in two weeks' time period. So from that standpoint, I think they're going to be able to get things going quick. But I agree with you, Michelle. I, I, I don't think... January 1st just, to me, does not seem realistic without rushing it. I know that, and you know that the league has scheduled plans already in place. You know they have already had plans in place in terms of how to set up a Canadian division, how to restructure the other divisions. There, There's an A through who knows how many letters, plans that they've got in place that they can go once they get past this bigger hurdle. But to me, I think we are at some point in time, we're looking more realistically at, at, at mid-January to me, uh, to the third week, possibly, if they're looking at a January start. i That's just a lot to get going. I mean, you've got, you've got U.S. players or players living in the United States or outside the country that as soon as they get back to Canada, for those cities, they've got to quarantine for two weeks. So put that window in place before you even start to practice.
2: And, Curbs, we have to – Pay attention to what's going on outside of our sports bubble. Darren Dreger just tweeted, and this is the most salient point we can make. He said, this week may very well produce a timeline for the start of the 21 NHL season. Postponing training camps until after the holidays has to be considered. And the last line is the most important. COVID is still in charge.
0: Well, yeah, and it is. I mean, look at, uh, you've got wide receivers starting at quarterback, you know, in the (laughs) NFL. I mean, it, it is still in charge. And, and this, is, this is the hardest part about this is because even if you come up with a financial agreement, and take any sport for that matter, even if you come up with a financial agreement, it doesn't mean that the scenarios aren't going to be changing within three to four weeks. And, and, and that's the ultimate challenge here. Now, I think where these sports have a different advantage than baseball is with, with really no cap-type structure, in place in baseball, baseball you know, the players eventually said, look, tell us when to play. And we're playing, you know, in these other sports, the way these things are structured, I think the players have as much a financial interest in making sure that it's a fair agreement too. having said that it's, it's just a matter of, you know, when can you play? I mean, you've, you've had the Canadian government tell the Toronto Raptors, uh, no, we're not even going to let you play. Like you, you, there's nobody that's going to be coming across the border to play you. You know? So they were looking for a home. You've got the MLS team in Toronto that's been based out of Hartford. I mean, these are what, – what, watch what, – now, I know the Premier League in the middle of December, some teams are going to be allowed to have some fans back in there. But look at what's going on when you're watching Bundesliga soccer and you're seeing no fans in the stands. I mean, this is not just a St. Louis thing dealing, wondering what, what the county and the city and the surrounding counties are doing. You're still dealing with something that's massively worldwide, and, and, and the scenarios are so similar. It's, it's crazy.
3: Curbs, uh, last week, NHL.com had an, a great piece on Alex potential where he talked about Colton Pareko, and he said he thinks that is already an elite player, but with more opportunities, he's going to be the guy and the leader on the back end. He says that it's just trusting his ability night in and night out, and even though we know that Petro is a class act and that he's always going to have high things to say about guys like Pareko, if you're Colton Pareko, it's got to be a nice thing to know that Petro believes in you and is passing that baton as far as a leadership standpoint's concerned
0: yeah you know what it is and and he's ready for it i mean how many times have you seen you know just what somebody does when they step up and i'll pull okay look in all fairness i realize i'm talking extremes here you know but steve young was ready when joe montana left you know i mean uh, you've got uh you know aaron Rodgers ready when brett Favre is done and i and i'm not i know i'm comparing a little bit of apples and oranges there but the point is opportunity right And you're talking about a guy who's been put into every situation over the first five years of his NHL career, including one run to the conference finals in 2016, one run to the Stanley Cup finals, losing in the first round. He's gone through a pandemic bubble. He's played in the ultimate shutdown role during his Stanley Cup finals. He's played power play like he's done everything in there, and now it's time to see if if it's ready to take that next step forward. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting that opportunity and, and, and being patient and learning while you're doing it. And he's done that. So I'm, I'm extremely excited for Colton Pareco this season and to see what happens with him. I, there, it's, there's just nothing in my mind, there's nothing I've seen from him uh, in talking with him, his game or anything, that doesn't make you think, that there's not another level of, of greatness to come from this young man. And, and I think it should be very exciting for blues fans.
2: Hey, Curbs, before we let you go, you grew up here in St. Louis. You were a fan of the football Cardinals, a fan of the Rams when they were here. What's your strongest memory of the late great Jim Hannafin?
0: Well, man, Randy, you and I have talked about this a lot. I, I, I somehow the hall of fame still should, should include assistant coaches. And, and, and I've always thought that he belongs in there with that, but, um, you know, the, the, look, the big red and the cardiac cards, that, that was a heyday when I was a kid. And um, honestly, one of my all-time favorite moments, Randy, was I'm sitting with with, uh, with him and Scotty Warman. And we were at Villa Parado's when it was open in the Valley. And Mr. Hannafin looked at me and started asking me about Bobby Plager. I said, you know, he's got to be around tonight somewhere. So I called up Bobby. I said, hey, Bobby, I'm with uh, Mr. Hannafin and, and Scotty Warman down here at uh, Villa Parado's. Come on by and he did and man we sat there for 3 hours and those two guys traded stories and it honest to god Randy it was one of my favorite uh favorite I gave him a ride home afterwards like it was just one of my favorite sports nights of all time to listen to those two. and i know you got Dan Deerdorf coming on mm-hmm. like he may even remember this story but and so i don't want i don't want to totally butcher it but there's a great story that Jim Hannafin tells about the hockey players in the back of a, of a restaurant or bar making a lot of noise, the football players in the front, the football players are getting frustrated with, with the blues players in the back. And one of the football guys says, you know what? I think I'm going to go shut them up. And I guess Jim Hanovan stopped and said, you can go try. He goes, but if you pick a fight with them, they'll fight you to the death. Um, I mean, there's, he he, he is such a great character, but, but Randy, like so many others that, that made St. Louis their home state in St. Louis and things. He, uh, he just became such a fabric of this community. And just when you'd see him out, how great of an individual he was to people. So, you know, uh, all the condolences to his family and, and friends because uh, we, we lost another uh, absolute legend with the, with his passing.
2: We did. Kerb, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Stay safe. Have an awesome week, you guys. You too. See you later. That's the Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Next up. Our first post-Thanksgiving edition of The Fight is coming your way.
1: We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.35 in the morning. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time to open up the Monday edition of The Fight. Rob is going to be Randy's challenger this morning. How you doing, Rob?
7: Uh, you know, I'm all right. How are you?
3: Just all right, huh?
7: Yeah, so, um, yeah, Thanksgiving was, we did our Thanksgiving in isolation this year, so it was really weird and different and strange. Um, But uh, it was still Thanksgiving.
3: There you go. See, silver lining at the end of it. And hopefully this is the only Thanksgiving you have to be in isolation. Hopefully by next year you don't have to deal with it, right? Exactly. And Rob, hopefully you win the fight today so you can turn that isolation weekend upside down.
7: Yeah, either way, someone from Lindenwood
3: will win. Oh, so you're a Lindenwood guy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right, well, let's jump in. Question number one. Buffalo's running back Jarrett Patterson tied the FBS record for most rushing touchdowns in a game on Saturday with eight. Who is the only other player to rush for eight touchdowns in FBS history? Is it Barry Sanders, Howard Griffith, or Jonathan Taylor?
7: Uh, I know very little about Howard Griffith. Um, Taylor, I, I don't remember. I, I know he was good, but I don't remember hearing all that much about him. And Barry Sanders is Barry Sanders. But you wouldn't have put Jonathan Taylor on the list without a reason. So I'm going to go crazy and go Jonathan Taylor.
5: All right, Rob. It is rumored that the Yankees are willing to trade Luke Voigt this offseason. When the Yankees acquired Voigt from the Cardinals, New York gave up Giovanni Gallegos, and who else? Was it Tyler O'Neill, Chasen Shreve, or Edmundo Sosa?
7: Uh, it was Shreve, I think.
3: Okay, Rob, question number three. Steve Sarkeesian coached in, coached in place of Nick Saban on Saturday. Sarkeesian was last a head coach in 2015. For which program? Was it USC? Was it Notre Dame? Or was it Washington?
7: Uh, my mom went to the University of Washington, and I remember her having this conversation with DeMarco about him, so that's a no. Um, <laughs> He didn't go to Notre Dame because all my friends that uh, went to Notre Dame would pitch about him have, being a terrible coach if he was there because they never liked their coaches. So I'm going to go with USC.
5: <laughs> all right, and last one, Rob. Who was the who has the highest slugging percentage in Cardinals history? Is it Mark McGuire, Albert Pujols, or Rogers Hornsby?
7: Ooh. Um, they did slugging percentage. They have to backdate it for Hornsby, so I'm not sure how they know that. And uh, I guess it goes—it's it, down to like the condensed seasons of Maguire versus all the MVP years of Albert. Um, I'm gonna go Albert just because he was here longer and did it, but I'm not really confident about it. So we'll see.
3: <laughs> okay, we are checking score. Randy is on his way in here, getting settled. I like Rob how you explained your thought process here. You did—you did that Randy style.
7: I didn't mean to. I was speaking out loud. I, I
3: apologize. <laughs> no, it's it's, <laughs> it's great. I love it. Randy, please say good morning to Rob, your fellow Lindenwood guy.
2: Hey, Rob. How you doing this morning? I'm good, Randy. How are you? Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We
7: do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for doing what you
3: guys do. Randy, question number one. Yes. Buffalo's running back Jarrett Patterson tied the FBS record for most rushing, rushing touchdowns in a game on Saturday with eight was the only other player to rush for eight touchdowns in FBS history?
2: I should know this, but I'll do the lifeline.
3: Is it Barry Sanders? Is it Howard Griffith? Or is it Jonathan Taylor?
2: Wasn't Jonathan Taylor. Howard Griffith may have done that with the Illini. Um, I think I'll go with
5: him. All right, Randy. It is rumored that the Yankees are willing to trade Luke Voigt this offseason. When the Yankees acquired Void from the Cardinals, New York gave up Giovanni Gallegos. And who else? Jason Shreve.
3: Randy, Steve Sarkeesian coached in place of Nick Saban on Saturday. Sarkeesian was last head coach in 2015 for which program?
2: 2015. So uh, USC was where he had the alcohol issue. So I'm going to say USC.
5: And Randy, who, is the, who has the highest slugging percentage in Cardinals history?
2: Hmm. Highest looking percentage. I think I'm going to go with uh, one of two guys, right? I think I'll go with Albert.
3: We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carriker.
1: Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
3: Close fight today. Close fight, Rob. Randy beat you. He he just edged you out. Three to two. Three to two. All right, let's run through our answers. So, uh, Jared Patterson did tie the FBS record for most rushing touchdowns in a game on Saturday. The only other player to rush for eight touchdowns in FBS history, ILL it is Howard Griffith who did it. Um, Illinois versus Southern Illinois in 1990. So when the Yankees acquired Luke Voigt from the Cardinals, New York gave up Giovanni Gallegos and chase, chase and Shreve, the last program, Steve Sarkeesian coached back in 2015 was USC as Randy mentioned, uh, uh-huh. Not not a great ending for him there. No, not really. Put it that way. And the the person who has the highest slugging percentage in Cardinal history is Mark McGuire. Rob, Mm. thank you so much for playing. No problem. You guys take
2: care. You too, Rob. Thank you very much. Good to have you with us on One Hundred and One ESPN. We're going to tell you where the ESPN experts feel Mizzou is going to play a bowl game next on One Hundred and One ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Over the
2: weekend, Mizzou with their first shutout since 2018, when they beat Arkansas 38-0, they whitewashed Vandy. Isn't that a fun word to use? Yeah. 41-0 was the score on Saturday at Faroe Field, and... Mizzou is on a roll here now, Michelle. They've won four out of five. They have a record of four and three. And when you go to ESPN.com and see the predictions for bowl games, both of the people, Kyle Bonagura and Mark Schlebaugh, have Mizzou playing in the Las Vegas Bowl, which now will be played at Allegiant Stadium. December 29th uh, is the date. The Las Vegas Bowl will pit According to Bonagura, Utah against Mizzou. And according to Mark Schlebaugh, Cal against Mizzou.
3: Which would be fun matchups either way. Uh, But if Mizzou continues to roll or picks up more wins, who knows, Randy, what their bowl situation could look like.
2: And they're capable, and I never thought I'd say this at the beginning of the season, of winning any game they play in. If they wind up beating Georgia, it won't surprise me. Really? No. Because... They're playing great defensively.
3: Yes, they are. They've
2: got a terrific running game. And I don't think the other teams in the league, Florida hammered them, obviously. I don't think that Georgia is dramatically better. I think if Mizzou plays a good, clean game, and they don't always do that, but it's their first year under Eli Drinkwitz, if they play a clean game, I think they're capable of beating a team like that.
3: I also wonder if other teams in the SEC, despite Mizzou peeling off these wins, tends to underestimate a program like Missouri and a first-year head coach like Eli Drinkwitz. I think they'll look at it and say, oh, win versus Vanderbilt or, oh, LSU's not the same yep. as, they, as they were, etc. So you might be onto something there with a team like Georgia. They'll never come out and say, hey, we overlooked Missouri, but I can imagine some of those players looking at the schedule and automatically assuming that playing Missouri's a win.
2: A lot of good things happened for Eli Drinkwitz' team on Saturday.
8: Great team win today. Um, thought our defense really played lights out. Uh, To hold an SEC opponent under 200 yards and a shutout, forced a turnover, stopped him on that early fourth down, which led us to our first scoring drive of the game. Can't say enough about Coach Walters and the job that that defense has done the the past two games. Really set up our football team to have some momentum and string some wins together. Offensively, I thought we played efficient. Obviously, Larry Roundtree had a big day. Wanted to get Tyler Beatty involved more, and we did that. And, uh, you know, thought we, we converted some early third downs, which helped put us in position to score points. And Mizzou was able to run for
2: 223 yards. And he mentioned the back-to-back great victories because you you had the dominant performance against Vandy. And, And I don't know that there's a team in this side of the SEC, Michelle, aside from Florida... That is really going to dent that defense. George is having trouble figuring out their quarterback situation. I, I don't think there is an, a great offense outside of Florida with Trask in the SEC East.
3: And like you said, who would have thought that we would have been having this conversation about Mizzou heading into the season? And that's what I think makes this all the more impressive. Because for so many other programs, this 2020 year with all of the abnormalities would have been a throwaway year. It would have been a, oh, it's a first year head coach. It's the SEC. It's a pandemic. We're just going to let Eli Drinkwitz wade in. We're going to see what he's got, but we're not going to really have any expectations for this Mizzou program because of everything that's happening. Even this week, Randy... They had to change their opponent right. <laughs> heading yep. into this week. And Eli Drinkwitz just seems to really be taking this Mizzou program. They clearly believe in him. They clear, he's clearly got the defense going. And it just seems like week after week, they're getting a little bit better.
2: Gary Pinkle always used to say, and I believe Eli Drinkwitz has the same philosophy, he said, we don't really worry about the opposition. It's how we play. And when you play Kentucky and Larry Roundtree has more carries than Kentucky has offensive plays, you're just dominating the game. And the same thing with Vandy. And now you've got... the Arkansas game coming up this week. It's eleven in the morning uh, on December fifth, and you should be able to beat Arkansas. I know Gary, Pink, uh, not Gary Pinkle, Barry Odom will have his group ready to play defensively. Mm-hmm. But I would think that Mizzou's defense will be able to handle things. And by the way, last year it was Vanderbilt that kind of set things in motion for Barry Odom to lose his job. They lost to Vanderbilt and wound up losing
8: five in a row. And Drinkwitz used that loss this year as motivation. I mean, every week you try to figure out what your edge is going to be and trying to motivate your guys. And I think last year we were all embarrassed. You know, when the headline says knocked out in Nashville, you know, that's something that you want to remember and use as something to increase your focus and make sure that we don't take anybody for granted. And so, and I told them it's, it's not about what happened. It's about what are you going to do about it. You know, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, I wasn't even here, but our staff, most of our staff wasn't here, but I said, we're going to do something about it. And we owned it and try to do something about it.
2: That headline was from the St. Louis post-dispatch said not knocked out in Nashville. And, Eli made copies of it and set it in every player's locker during the week.
3: And plastered it all over the facility. Yeah,
2: and made sure that players were aware of the perception of what happened last year and wanted to make sure that they didn't lose to a team that they should beat every single year.
3: Every single year. But what a good coach that is to understand how to strike a nerve in your players and how to get Mm -hmm. them, hey, abrupt Opponent change, no problem. We have a plan, and we know how to get you motivated for the task ahead. He's he's doing a lot of things right, Randy. Mizzou fans should be very pumped by Eli Drinkwitz.
2: One thing that really intrigues me, and I know that a couple of weeks ago we had Gabe DiArmidon, and he said, I'm not completely sold on Connor Baselock. and he's only a freshman, but he barely threw the ball in high school. He was a triple option guy. On Saturday, he goes 30 of 37 for 318 and didn't turn the ball over. He's doing everything that needs to be done. I'm not sold that he's Trevor Lawrence or anything like <laughs> that, or Andrew Luck. But is he good enough to win with? He's not a guy you're going to win because of, but is he good enough to win with? I think he is.
3: Yeah, you just need him to be efficient and effective in the t- the task ahead, and he seems to be doing that.
2: So, you good with the uh, Mizzou playing in the Las Vegas Bowl at Alleg- Allegiant Stadium on December 29th? MIC?
3: As of now. But I, I don't know. I, I'm pumped about this Mizzou team, and who knows what their bowl situation is going to be look like. What if they peel off some more wins, Randy?
2: They're four and three. Georgia is six and two in the conference. So if Mizzou can win out, and that would include a win over Georgia and have the same amount of losses, but a win over Georgia, Georgia's still going to get the better bowl.
3: Yeah, of course. <laughs> Of course. But you know what? I'm going to take the Eli Drinkwitz approach and say the uh, that bowl at Allegiant Stadium is the floor, and we're going to aim for the ceiling, right? You should aim for something a little better.
2: The ceiling is the roof.
3: The ceiling is the roof, according to the the GOAT.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One other note about Saturday's game. Eli Drinkwitz, so classy in going up to Sarah Fuller before the game and talking to her. He's, here's what his interaction was like with Sarah.
8: Continue. Yeah, I just I just said that anytime you break a barrier or uh, do something, it's to be commended. It takes courage to do that. Um, and for her to have the courage to come out Monday and and um, be a part of a football team, knowing um, that it's uh, going to be, you know, a barrier broken. That's awesome. And and I just shared with her that I had four daughters of my own that that uh, made me very proud to be on the football field with her and, and congratulate her and wish her the best. And, um, you know, that was really it. It's so cool
2: to have a 36-year-old head coach who has to relate exceptionally well with young people, and he does. There's no doubt about it. When you think about Nick Saban, he still does relate very well to his kids at 69, but he can't go up to Sarah Fuller and say, I've got four daughters at home. Mm-hmm. It's just a different world that we're living in with Eli Drinkwitz as the coach of our state school.
3: And I don't know the inner workings of Alabama, but I wonder if Nick Saban really does relate to his players or if they just respect him so much. That's probably it. That it doesn't matter what he says that they're going to follow suit because they understand that he has built a winning culture and a winning program. And part of that is complying at every turn and listening to him. There's reverence there. Whereas I'm not in any way suggesting that Mizzou doesn't respect coach drink but he's he's the new guy in in the building right and so you have to have a different tactic you have to relate to your players on a different level especially a year like this when kids are virtual learning and they have to get covid tests all the time the fact that in in a season like this he's been able to connect with his players so quickly and so impactfully really says something
2: you've seen the video of nick saban yelling at lane kiffin right Um, on the sideline yeah do you think that Nick Saban's TV got scared when he yelled at it on Saturday?
3: You think so? <laughs> he said he
2: yelled at it. i bet it did.
3: If I was that TV, I wouldn't <laughs> want to mess with Nick Saban, even now. <laughs>
2: Me either. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we're going to visit with our friend, the Hall of Famer Dan Deardorff, and hear some of his reminiscences for his former offensive line coach, head coach, and best friend, Jim Hannafin. That's next on 101 ESPN. We
1: are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: Dan Dierdorf is going to join us momentarily, the Pro Football Hall of Famer and the analyst for Michigan football now in his quote-unquote retirement, and he and Jim Hannafin had some great times over the years, and this was the first Thanksgiving in many moons that Jim Hannafin and Dan Deardorff weren't together on Thanksgiving, even during seasons. And even when Hanny was with other teams, he would make his way into St. Louis so that he could have Thanksgiving dinner with the Deardorff family.
3: Yeah, I read the great article in the St. Louis Post dispatch about their relationship and how they were family and spent a lot of time together, vacations, holidays, as you mentioned. And I can't imagine being with the two of them and the legendary stories that you would get out of those two.
2: Dan Duroff is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we always appreciate Dan's time. And Dan, first of all, thanks for joining us. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing fine.
9: How are you guys?
2: Everything's good. I I said to people over the course of the weekend, I can't imagine somebody getting more out of life than Jim Hannafin did. And you knew him so well. You guys were best friends. I I can't imagine that you would disagree with that.
9: No, I would... uh... I most definitely would not. Uh, I mean, the way I always think of Jim is I, I know that whenever I walk into a crowded room, I uh, immediately uh, try to identify somebody that I know so I can walk over to them and, and at least find a little circle of comfort and, and you know, familiarity. Well, uh, Jim Hannafin would walk into a room where he didn't know anybody, and he'd break out in a giant smile because – Uh, That was fertile ground for him to uh, meet new people, tell them stories, uh, learn things. Uh, I I never knew anyone that had quite the zest for life that, uh, that Jim did. He was an extraordinary man.
3: Dan, you're absolutely right. We've had listeners sending in stories all day about their moments with Hanny, and it feels like he never met a stranger because he made everyone feel instantly at ease and like they had known him for a long time.
9: No, that's true. I'm not, I, he, he, again, um, his, uh, and, and and he didn't do it as, he didn't do it as some sort of an obligation or he didn't do it because he thought, well, you know, one of these people that I meet might be able to do something for me. Uh, far from it. Jim just loved meeting new people. He loved being with friends. He loved the exchange of ideas. He, 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 he loved telling and hearing uh, a great story. And uh, if you were a friend of Jim's, uh, you realized that you were going to hear whatever story he wanted to tell whether you wanted to hear it or not
2: (laughs) (laughs) one night well back in the summer of 1986 before dan started with monday night football we were going to work together and dan actually bought a couple of limousines and started celebrity limousine company and i was kind of i guess the designated driver in one of these limousines right after we got them dan (laughs) and jim you remember this
9: Yes, sadly, I do. <laughs>
2: and uh, Coach Hannafin wanted to go to his spot in Lake St. Louis. As it turns out, Coach Hannafin had about 30 different spots to go to.
9: Um, at, at Jim Hannafin, um, uh, his Irish heritage uh, manifested itself. The man loved a good tavern more than anybody I ever met in my life. Uh, he loved to belly up to a bar. And of course, you know he had Kelly's Corner downtown, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, which was right by Bush Stadium. So he didn't have to go very far for the first one. But then he, Jim lived, Jim lived outside Fenton, and so let me tell you something: to make that drive without stopping along the way, that uh, that was an impossibility for Jim. <laughs> God, he loved. Uh, uh, he, he, I mean, you, how many people have come up to you and said that? They met Jim somewhere uh, in a setting like that, and were forever touched by meeting him.
2: Are you okay with telling the story of when he came into uh interview with coach Vermeil?
9: Uh, well <laughs> yeah I mean nah, it's you know Jim was the offensive line coach of the uh, Redskins, and uh, uh you know Jim had long made it known uh, at least to me that. He and Mariano would—they wanted to return to St. Louis and retire in St. Louis, and and uh, you know, Dick came to town with the Rams, and I'm talking to Dick, and uh, he said, you know, I'd I'd you know, if I was filling out my wish list, I'd love to have Hanny be my offensive line coach, but you know, he's in Washington, and I can't contact him, and, and so I said, well. Let me see what I can do. So I I called Jim. I'm just a, although I was, you know, I was uh, working uh, uh, for a broadcast network. Uh, I probably overstepped my bounds, but I went to Jim. I said, Jim, I'm telling you right now, Dick Vermeil will hire you. If you can get away from the Redskins, you've got a job in St. Louis. And Jim goes, really? Uh, you think so? I said, Jim, I know so. So Jim went uh, to the Redskins' management. I think Charlie Casserly was the uh, GM at the time, and Norv Turner was the coach. And and, um, he told the Redskins uh, that it was his dream to retire in St. Louis. And I will always be grateful uh, to, well, I guess what is now the Washington football team, Mm -hmm. for releasing Jim from his contract and that's what allowed him to come back and coach the Rams. It was a, a magnanimous gesture on the part of the Redskins, and it told you a little something about how much they admired and respected Jim Hannafin, that they would allow him to do that. that that's unheard of.
3: Well, Dan, the city of St. Louis, thanks you for being the liaison there.
5: Yeah, definitely.
9: <laughs> well, and you know what, do you think I got a finder's fee? <laughs> I, no, I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. Except more Hannafin.
3: <laughs> Dan, I got to tell you, I, in my early, early years of my career, produced for Jim Hannifin on the radio, and he's a producer's dream and a producer's nightmare because he's a dream. You know, you're going to get great analysis, you're going to get the truth, and you're going to get amazing stories. But you have to be on your toes because he may drop a profane word that you're going to have to dump <laughs> at some point.
9: Jim Hannafin took profanity and made it an art form. He, he, I, I, and as he got older, uh, amazingly, he became even more profane. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we uh, uh, we heard it all. I, we, if you could have heard the language uh, uh, in our windowless bunker of an offensive line meeting room in the bowels of Bush Stadium, uh, it's really we just had a a room made out of cinder block and painted this. Awful color, gray, and you know Hannafin smoked up a storm. Conrad smoked. Bob Young smoked. So we're in this room watching, uh, and back then it wasn't videotape; it was real film on a on a sixteen millimeter projector, and and I, it looked like a scene from Casablanca. The 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 projector uh, light cutting through the wafting smoke. I. Uh, those of us that didn't smoke, I inhaled more secondhand smoke in my offensive line meetings than anyone ever had a right to do. I, And the language, wow. Get back, Jack. That's all I can say.
2: Dan, you played for a couple of years in the league before he came along, before Jim Hannafin got here to St. Louis. And now we all look at him as the best offensive line coach in the history of the league. Why was he the best offensive line coach?
9: Well, he started off by telling us one thing. He said, uh, uh, what I want you guys to do is uh, pull out the uh, manual for the National Football League and, and, and take me to the page where it says defensive linemen are tougher than offensive linemen. Uh, take me to where it says that these guys are the baddest guys on the planet because I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that. That's not the way we're going to play. We're going to be the baddest guys on the planet. And he convinced us that even though by nature uh, part of playing offensive line is you're, you're blocking a guy while you're retreating. You know, you're going backwards when you're in pass protection. And Jim said we will not make that posture into some subservient role. We're going to attack them. We're going to intimidate them. We're going to fight them. We will do anything it takes to serve notice on every defensive line in the league that when you play the Cardinals, you better bring an extra chin strap because we're going to knock your helmet off uh, somewhere along the way. And and he instilled that in us, and he found some – you know, he found some willing disciples. You know, imagine you're Conrad Dobler and you hear that message. Oh, my God, that's like, yeah, can you imagine? Music to his ears. Yeah, talk about enabling somebody. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, you know, we were a perfect fit uh, for his message, and he was a great technician. Uh, he was a great teacher, but, uh, but his his attitude about how aggressive we were supposed to play was a game changer.
3: Dan, we know that Hanny was a prolific storyteller. We know you spent a lot of time with him and you probably heard the same stories over and over. So can you share with us your favorite Hanny story?
9: Oh, what? Well, don't you want to keep your broadcast license? <laughs> 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 I thought it's, you know, um, I, all I can t- Jim and Mariana uh, uh, were what an amazing couple and and they would go at it back and forth at times and and you know just to be just to be in their company. But I I'll tell you I'll tell you one quick story. Well, it's not all that quick, but uh, uh, Jim went to their cabin in Lake Tahoe and and uh, went there three days early to open it up, which Mariana always did at first. And this was a rare exception where Jim went there first. Well, he's been there now for three days. Mariana gets there and walks into the house and immediately smells something just awful. And, and she's going, what is that? Well, she gets into their master bedroom, and there's their bed where, of course, uh, only half of the bed has been... Must up because of where Jim was, and she peels back the sheets, and on the other side of the bed, a chipmunk had crawled in there during the winter and died, <laughs> and it had like dissolved into the mattress. I mean, it was this unbelievable mess where Jim had been sleeping with it for three days, and which of course told you Jim's condition when he finally lay down in that bed. And Mariana goes, how could you possibly sleep for three days with this bed, dead chipmunk? And honest to God, Jim turned to her and went, well, I've been sleeping with you for the past 40 years. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Mariana, Mariana goes, it's so infuriating. Because when he said that, I wanted to throw something at him, but I couldn't help but laugh <laughs> because, by God, that was a great line. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way they were. Um, uh, all I know is I never met anybody that loved the act of living and interacting with his fellow man. I never never met anybody quite like Jim Hannafin. Hey, hey, Dan! I never
2: asked you this, but and I assume it was a given that when you made the Hall of Fame, that he was going to be your presenter. But when you asked him to be your presenter, what was that conversation like?
9: Oh well, this uh, first of all, um, you know, it's completely changed now. But back then, they told you uh, the, the Hall did that. What they would prefer is if you selected the person that was most instrumental in your success in the NFL because I considered asking Bo uh to be my presenter. But when they said the person most instrumental for whatever success you had in the NFL, for me, it was a no-brainer uh, that Jim would be the guy. In a league with a lot of turnover, I played 13 years. Uh, Jim was my coach for 10 of those 13. Six as my offensive line coach, four as my head coach. Well, he was the offensive line coach of the Redskins at the time. And uh, I, when I asked Jim, uh, obviously he was thrilled, but he goes, well, and, and here he is, the coach. He goes, well, Dan, that, uh, that's, that's during training camp. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can get away uh, during training camp to, to do it. Uh, he goes. Let me talk to uh, uh, Norv Turner, and and he goes to Norv Turner, and I talked to Norv later. I and I, I Norv said, I, I can't believe it. I, I've got one of my coaches across from me, wondering if it would be okay for him to leave training camp for a couple of days to present one of his players at the Hall of Fame. Norv said, I told Hannifin. Jim, i tell you what, if you don't want to go, that's fine, but I'll go do it. Tell Dan that I'll go do it. <laughs> and, and so they basically kicked him out of training camp, and, but that's the way he thought. He thought, wow, I, as great an honor as this is, I'm not sure I can abandon my, my obligation to my O-line in Washington
3: incredible stories. And and Dan, we wanted to have you on to celebrate the life of Hanny, but we would be remiss if, if we had a Michigan man on the line and we didn't ask you about the state of the Wolverines oh, right I'm now. Oh, I'm
9: sorry. We're, we're, <laughs> man, I must have a bad connection. I, 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 I didn't hear what you said. I, uh, it's been great being with you today.
3: <laughs> I know. It's rough right now. I don't, I don't blame you.
9: But... Well, it's, uh, you know, this year obviously is a catastrophe. Um, we have... Much bigger uh, uh, things to worry about than uh, uh, a disappointing season. And yes, that's, uh, we're having a most disappointing. We knew it was going to be a rebuilding year. Uh, uh, we, we lost so many players last year to the NFL, uh, but we didn't anticipate it being uh, this bad. And again, I'm um, like everybody else. Uh, 2021 can't get here soon enough. But this, <laughs> the, it, this has been such a, it, it, it's so strange seeing football g- uh, games being played in these completely empty stadiums. There's such a lack of energy and excitement. And it is, uh, you know, I know the word surreal is overused, but it's so strange. There's no band. There's no nothing. It's uh it's such a sterile environment. It's, it's really not all that enjoyable.
2: Now it's, it's frustrating. And I was listening on Saturday. I could tell the, you and Jim both frustrated in that fourth quarter. That was, uh, that was tough to deal with.
9: Well, we were, we were, we were frustrated by the, uh, uh, quite frankly, the lack of energy. I'm that's, uh, if, if where Jim Arbaugh, uh, has to write this ship is that, uh, just in my mind, I, I, I would have preferred to see a little more fight and a look. I lost plenty of football games when I, uh, when I played uh, in St. Louis. I didn't lose many before I got here, but uh, I lost plenty after I arrived in St. Louis. But by God, I always thought that when we lost, as the other team was on the way to the locker room, they were saying to themselves, man, I'm glad we don't have to play these guys next week because it was a fight it was a physical challenge and uh, in my world it's very simple even if you lose i don't think that's too much to ask for
2: absolutely dan it was so great to hear your voice and reminiscing about coach Hannafin. we're going to miss him so much you have a great holiday season you and debbie and your family stay safe and we'll talk to you soon
9: well thanks thanks uh thanks for thinking of him and uh uh to both of you happy holidays and Let's uh, uh, let's keep Jim's memory alive. I I know I will, and I I don't think it's going to be that hard to do. And it's a shame we can't have a uh, a gathering uh, because it would uh, we'll we'll maybe do something in the spring or the summer whenever it's safe to do so. But let's be realistic. If we had one now, it would be.
2: Epic. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to celebrate with him, no doubt. Yes, there is. All right. See yeah. you guys. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. The great Hall of Famer Dan Deerdorf on 101 ESPN. Doesn't get any better than Double D.
3: Love those stories.
1: He's great. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information.
2: All right, Michelle, with the knowledge that we have at least we think it's knowledge because Yadier Molina said it, that he has four other teams interested in him. And with where the Cardinals are right now, how hard should they be trying to keep him?
3: Hmm. That's a really tough question because I think so much depends on what their financial situation looks like. I don't think it's a we don't want to have Yachty back. I think it's uh, what does our financials look like? How does the market develop when we're putting all the X's and O's of this puzzle together? Where is there a deficit? How, how do we improve? Can we afford to bring him back at the number that he wants? Is he going to block somebody else? I mean, there's, I don't think it's a want to. I think it's a, we're going to have to wait and see.
2: And here's my question. If he's saying that it's not about money, it's winning another title, To me, trying to keep Yachty is getting other players in here. It's not necessarily getting him in here. It's improving the roster so that he has as good a chance to win in St. Louis as he would have in New York or San Diego.
3: Great point. Excellent point. And if that's the case... I would imagine some of these other teams might be in a better position to strike early because if the Cardinals are going to look to improve, as Jean Moselak said, they need to wait and see what next year is going to look like, what they can do financially, how the market develops. And if I'm a team like the Mets or the Yankees and I can and want to spend and I'm already reaching out to Yadier Molina's camp and I can maybe before the Cardinals feel comfortable provide him with a package or at least start luring him in, it might put the Cardinals at a disadvantage there, even if they do intend on going out and improving the club. I just don't feel like that's going to be anytime soon.
2: I agree with that. I, I think it says a lot about the Cardinals approach that Adam Wainwright said they haven't even talked yet, that they haven't yeah. been presented offers. Obviously some players are signing. Mike Minor signed a two-year contract. We saw Charlie Morton go to the Braves along with Drew Smiley. So we're seeing pitchers that are landing elsewhere just I get the sense that the Cardinals are being true to their word and saying we can't do anything until we know what our situation is going to be, how much revenue Mm -hmm. we're going to be able to generate. Other teams don't have to worry about that. Like Adam said, the Yankees have incredible TV resources, and the, the Padres actually have a really good TV contract. The Cardinals don't have the outrageous TV contract they make so much from getting fans in the stands. They might not even be able to play the same game in terms of the business aspect of the game that a franchise like the Yankees or the Mets or the Angels or the Padres can play.
3: And when Yadi uh, says, hey, we would I would love to come back to St. Louis. There's mutual interest there, but all of these other teams have called. Do you really believe him when he says that? I know he has great affection for the organization. He understands his place here. But when you say that and then the next thing is all of these other teams have reached out to me and I want to win. Winning another title is the most important thing to me. Do you think saying the Cardinals thing is kind of a, a just I need to say this? This is something I need to say. Yes.
2: The fact that they haven't had, at least as far as we know, constructive discussions towards a new contract, and he's bringing up franchises that do have a great chance to win, and he says the most important thing is the title. And I take him at his word that yeah. the most important thing is the title. Yeah, I, I do think that the saying the Cardinals are his first choice is A, keeping that option open. But B, putting some pressure on all those other teams, too. Oh, well, we know you want to go back to St. Louis. Maybe we'll give you an extra $500,000 to come here to help us win a title.
3: Or maybe we'll let you play X amount of games or yeah. we'll talk about what, whatever your considerations might be. But I just, based on what we know on Yadier Molina, the way that I look at this situation is here's a guy who wants to win more than anything. Here's a guy who wants to play More than anything. And here's a guy who says, Maybe I'll play another two years. And he's looking at the sand ticks through the hourglass. And he already is a person that has a sense of urgency to win, but now that's intensified. And as he's looking around and he's seeing the teams that have shown interest in him, he is going to pick the one where he says, All right, I realize I have a finite amount of time left here. What's my best chance to win? And whether that's the Cardinals or not, I believe him when he says that he's going to pick the team. It's not going to be based on money. It's not going to be based on all these other things. He's going to go where he truly believes he has the best possible chance to win. And
2: I would put the Cardinals fourth on that five-team list ahead of only the Angels. Agreed. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend Steve Weish, St. Louis
1: native of NFL Network, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and a St. Louis native Parkway South grad, I believe. Steve Weiss joins us from the NFL Network. Steve, it's always great to have you with us on in St. Louis. How are you doing?
4: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. And you're right, a Parkway South grad. And
2: you've got a podcast going right now, right? The uh, the Huddle and Flow podcast?
4: We do. Uh, myself and colleague Jim Trotter, we started the podcast at the beginning of the season. And uh, it's rolling. It, it drops. A new one drops every Tuesday. And tomorrow we're going to uh, have Saints linebacker DeMario Davis on so he can... You can talk a lot about having to face a a practice squad wide receiver as a quarterback in an NFL game. Uh, That that was one of the weirder ones I've had to deal with in uh, in my NFL tenure.
3: Yes, Steve. Okay, let's keep it there because you you mentioned the Broncos. Then we heard in our update here the Ravens have practice canceled again. I know that the NFL wants to continue to push through this, but is there any sort of a chance that the season is in jeopardy with all these outbreaks that we're seeing?
4: I really, I really don't think so. Because you know, there's a couple things to always keep in mind. Is if these games don't get played, these players, these players don't get paid. And you know, you miss. You know, if there's a forfeit, whatever. I mean, so let's say the Steelers are supposed to play the Ravens, even though they've got some issues, they don't have an outbreak. So you would punish them by not getting them paid either. So the the league is going to continue to do everything it can to get these games played. However, if you keep on saying, like, this thing with the Ravens now has gone on for probably more than a week, right? It seems Mm -hmm. like every day they're getting a positive test. And if this continues, I don't think we'll see the season halted. But I do think you're going to see individual teams affected, like we saw the baseball Cardinals affected, you know, in Major League Baseball. So that's going to be, I think, more of the play than the overall season being altered but it's really getting bad now you're saying the 49ers you know because of local municipality rules they're gonna have to relocate for the final month they're not gonna be able to practice or play games in santa clara county that's disruptive now not just the players moving and having to play in different facilities but they've got families and everything that could be either be uprooted or these players and coaches could be away from them for a month um I think more of something we're going to see is the the local bubbles, where they're going to tell teams, you're going to have to stay in a hotel. Um, I could see that coming first before any other option is on the table.
2: Steve Weish of NFL Network, I understand what the rules that were laid out at the beginning of the season said about how if one team has an outbreak among a position group, we're still going to play the game. But, man, when you lose quarterbacks, and you are starting a wide receiver at quarterback like the Broncos did, that affects the product, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm a Broncos fan, I don't want to watch that on TV.
4: No, I mean, nobody wants to watch it on TV. I mean, Saints fans don't want to watch no. that on TV. At, at the same time, what do you do? I mean, do you, do you push that game back to Wednesday? Because based, I think, on the timing of when those tests came out, you you know, you have to push it back to Wednesday, and then you've got a short week coming up. I, I don't know. I think this this another offshoot of this is you're gonna start seeing a team shelter a quarterback. You know, hey, team meetings, even though they're all supposed to be virtual anyway, we're gonna have one guy just away from the group. I think you're gonna see more and more of that. Because you've seen some teams really hit hard at, at other position groups, be it offensive line this and that, but your whole quarterback room. And this was the biggest fear. You know, I spoke to several coaches and team executives before the season and said our big fear is if one position group gets completely annihilated. Even if it's your tight end, you've got to go into a game and completely, you know, restructure what you want to do. And and so we saw this happen, and you're going to see more and more teams, I think, isolate at least one or two individual players just to kind of prevent this.
2: And it's pretty incredible, by the way. You think about the foresight that the Eagles had in signing Josh McCown to be a practice squad quarterback who lives in Dallas and is doing all the meetings virtually. But that was a really smart move and a lot of foresight on
4: the part of the Eagles. Yeah, it looks that way. It looks that way. I mean, you know, it, in and you know, are who 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 are you going to have do that? Is going to be your backup quarterback, or is you going to be your number three quarterback if teams decide to do this? So. You know, these, these are other things they're really going to have to struggle with because, you know, you're not going to get on-field reps and things like that with game plan, um, or that person's going to have to come at a different time and and take those reps on-field. But it's just, you know, we're seeing this blow up so much in society, and I think the one thing that people keep forgetting is this this is, like, more contagious than, than anything because you see everyone says we're following everything we're supposed to do, and we're still coming up with positive tests. Yeah. Um, Hopefully these, these coaches can get their players and staffers to say, hey, look, guys, just calm down for a month. Because that situation in Baltimore where the strength coach was as reckless as he was and now you're seeing the offshoot, um, that just can't happen. I mean, as you're seeing you know, in the aftermath of his behavior.
3: Steve, let's talk about some of the headlines coming out of this week week and weekend's games because we had Thanksgiving. But the Lions fired their head coach, Matt Patricia, and their GM, Bob Quinn. Where do the Lions go from here? And do you think Matthew Stafford is in their long-term plans?
4: That's a great question um, in terms of the Matthew Stafford part because you heard you know the new owner, well, the, the, the next owner in the Ford family say, that's going to be up to, to the new coach. And I think you're going to hear the same thing with Matt Ryan in Atlanta even though I don't think Matt Ryan is going anywhere. The cap the cap impact is too significant there. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think Matt Stafford's necessarily in play. It, you know, there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks on the move. When I talk to people, they're assuming there's going to be a lot of potentially guys like Matt Stafford who are going to be available. Jimmy Garoppolo. Guys like that who are going to be available plus the guys coming out in the draft. So we'll see if they if they go with a coach who they you know they really want to blow everything up. And start all over. Maybe you get a bridge quarterback like what Carolina's doing this year with Teddy Bridgewater, um, or if they want to keep Stafford, and you know try to convince him, hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna be taking you know uh, a rebuild. Stafford might say, well, that's what we've been doing for the last ten years anyway. <laughs> so, so, so that's part of it. In terms of a coach, it's it's gonna be a hard sell. I mean, the name you're gonna hear first and foremost uh, in the short term is gonna be Niners defensive coordinator Robert Sala. And, you know, people are going to say, wow, another defensive guy. He's a leader. You know, he's, he's one of these uh, guys who he, he's got it, right? He's got that magic touch, and he'll hire a good O.C. But part of the reason why you're going to hear the connection is he's from there. He's from Dearborn, Michigan. He's got a lot of ties, and he's going to be a hot candidate. I mean, he's going to be a head coach somewhere. So, But the, uh, the Detroit thing has been a mess for, for so, so long. Um, the general manager is going to be the more, more important hire than the head coach. Steve, one
2: of my favorite stats and I know Lions fans don't like it. That team is that franchise has won one playoff game since nineteen
4: fifty seven. That's that's incredible, isn't it? Unbelievable. And, and they look and, and they've they've barely been. In the two thousands, what they've been twice, maybe three times. Jim mm-hmm. Jim Caldwell Jim Caldwell took them there twice. And you know, you think about he had winning records of three of the four years. That dude should have got an extension.
0: Yeah.
4: Right. <laughs> Based on that. Yeah. Hey, If
2: the Chiefs play the Steelers, what happens?
4: Ooh, it's a great it's a great matchup. Um, I think the Steelers' defensive front will be more problematic than any than any defense that they they faced. Um, boy, that that that's a tough game because I I do think Kansas City can score and adapt, but the Steelers are just so relentless. I probably have to go with the Steelers now because the Chiefs' defensive vulnerabilities, but the way the Chiefs are playing is is frighteningly good. And what we saw yesterday is something we really hadn't seen much from the Chiefs, and that's the big play. Teams have been defending them so they can't hit those 20-plus yard plays. And the Chiefs finally started getting things going with Tyree Hill yesterday and Travis Kelsey hit some big plays as well. If they start getting, you know, scheming and, and hitting those big plays again, I think it could be a wrap. I think Kansas City could repeat
3: and let's look at the other side of that game, Steve. What do you think of the Tampa Bay Bucks right now? They're sitting at 7-5 and five and 2nd in the NFC South.
4: Yeah, 2nd and 5. Um, Brady's, Brady is turning the ball over an awful lot. Those two third-quarter picks are costly because they were driving. I mean, they're still a good team, and I think they're the type of team that if they get in the playoffs, they're going to be problematic. And, you know, the issue is getting to the playoffs. Um, Right now, they're one of six teams in the NFC with winning records. They're lucky for that. Their schedule's not daunting. Um, They've got to buy, I think, the Vikings, the Falcons twice, and those Lions we were just talking about. But there's other teams on the come. I mean, Arizona lost yesterday, but if they get it going, they could get a wild card spot. They just seem disjointed. I mean, it's a really good defense that got gashed early yesterday and then really tightened up late. Um, They've got to figure out, um, how to really, you know, kind of battle through some of the drama that's coming their way with this whole Bruce Arians Tom Brady stuff, and and get it together. I mean, they just don't seem in sync. They don't seem comfortable. And Brady, you know, this—he he's not the Tom Brady that we've seen, and, and so. I think they get in. I think there'll be a problem, but I don't think it's a Super Bowl team.
2: We know you have a busy day. You will be on the Aftermath on NFL Network at 2 o'clock St. Louis time this afternoon. Steve, it's always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. Hopefully we can do it again soon.
4: Sounds good. Thanks for having
2: me. Right, Take care. That is St. Louis and Steve Weiss, NFL Network, here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mack, coming your way
1: on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
2: Dan McLaughlin is back from the, what seemed like, interminable thanksgiving break well you were on that too i, I wasn't <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it wasn't just me no <laughs> michelle and i and i was talking to you, uh, mike Ryder and tommy matter about how everybody was saying that it, it seemed like it was longer than four days
6: it was awesome it was great it uh was did like you guys a have a great uh, thanksgiving i hope it did, yeah. yeah it was great yeah
3: but you're right it did feel longer than usual yeah. i don't know why
6: i'd welcome more of those i know about you <laughs> christmas yeah. is around the corner Tanner, why are you glaring at me? I mean, here we go again with your glares. I can't see. That's why. Okay, the sun is oh, on you your can, face. Okay, I'll fix that for you. Hold oh on.
3: yeah, you it are. is glaring right Talking in his yourself. eyes.
6: All right, is he been glaring at you, uh, Michelle, this morning, giving mm. you those mean looks?
3: Actually, he hasn't, Dan. So. Okay. I don't give Maybe mean looks. Maybe just mean. Dan.
6: All right, I just Tanner gives those mean looks and he intimidates me, and I I get nervous. He's no, serious. Makes me nervous. I know.
5: He walks in here. Don't mess up today. Oh, now I'm under pressure.
6: Don't mess up today. Don't mess up.
3: Well, you should be. You should think that anyway, Tanner. That's right. <laughs> Without Dan this telling
6: those mean looks he gives me, I, he makes me nervous, Randy and Michelle. I don't know what the deal is. Oh well, I'll have to get over it. I loved your interview with Dan Deardorff. He's was the best, great. isn't he? Yeah. He's amazing. He's was awesome. Sad
2: about the passing of Jim Hannifin, but what a life! If if there's anybody that you can say, boy, he had a great run. Oh. It's Hannie. He had a great run. Um,
6: yeah. And a lot of cigarettes too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I was watching some of the Sunday night shows last night and uh, looking at his post-game interviews, smoking mm-hmm. darts and yeah. just letting it freewheel and just it made me think of Jim Leland for whatever reason. I remember doing a game um, and I think Jim Leland was managing the Pirates and uh, we had a shot of the dugout and... He was kind of ducked behind mm-hmm. part of the dugout and kind of trying to hide him smoking a cigarette. You would never see that again unless Dave Chappelle is holding a court <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. Exactly. That would be right. about it. Wasn't that weird? Did you guys see him when he was hosting Saturday Night Live? Did you watch that? No. I did. That was weird. Yeah, he, he came out and did his opening monologue, and he is hilarious, but he came out and did his opening monologue. He was the host and came out and was just smoking a cigarette. Fired up a heater? Yeah. You just never see that on live TV anymore. Just smoking a cigarette.
3: Ripping heaters yeah. on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. You know, it's 2020. He probably thinks, what are they going to do? Right. right.
6: What are you, you going to do? And there was people on Twitter saying, you know, I, I work at, um, what is it, 30 Rock or whatever it is, and you know that's terrible that he's doing it, and it's kind of like, you know... Come on. He's he's going to put it out. Everything's going to be fine. Do
2: you remember during the 99 season, Hanny was rushed to the hospital one night? I do. And uh, they thought that it, he was going uh, to... They, they thought it was really serious. And as they're wheeling him out on the gurney, he's drawing up plays. He's, yeah. he's got a serious? clipboard with him, and he's drawing up plays while he's being loaded into the ambulance. And that was back the next day. What was your uh,
6: favorite story of dealing with Jim Hannafin?
2: You knew You knew him quite well. Yeah. Uh, there are... So many, and Dan, we told the story about uh, me being the limo driver for Dan and Jim. Uh, it, it's it's probably that one, but from a football standpoint, it's uh, it, it was the fact that he would tell stories all night long. So we would do uh, our open line shows at whatever season I was at when uh, the Rams were here, we would do them at Rams Park, whether it was 6 to 8 or 6 to 9. And he would come down and hang out in the media room and tell stories for an hour. And you know that he would go upstairs and tell more stories mm-hmm. to the coaches. And that's why they were there until 3 in the morning is because, <laughs> Hanny, rather than implementing your short yardage plan on Wednesday night he was telling stories to the gang so who goes I was thinking about this today
6: and last night who goes on your Mount Rushmore of football in St. Louis is Jim Hannafin on your Mount Rushmore I mean he's part of a world championship he's a former head coach he's he's one of the the great offensive linemen of uh, coaches in the history of the the game so I, I I think he's in the conversation I'm not sure he's on it Yeah, but he's, he's in definitely the con- in the conversation right so who's on the mount rushmore of your of your football you know Rams Cardinals ever? I, I think
2: and I love coach Anifan that's why it's he, he is in the conversation you have to put Curtin Marshall those are the first two I think Isaac has to go up there and now you've got Deardorff, you've got Larry Wilson, you've got Roger Worley, mm-hmm. you've got Aeneas Williams, you've got Dick Vermeil, mm-hmm. you've got Hanny Pace, maybe Orla- yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, uh,
6: that greatest tough, show on turf
3: team takes up a lot of positions. Yeah, yeah.
2: Football
6: yeah, that's, Cardinal that's, guys, though, I, 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 they're dear to my heart. Yeah, me too. And I think Dan would be
2: top of the line. I, mean, I do too. Dan is one of the two or three best offensive tackles in the history of the sport. Yep. So I, I'd probably put Dan on there. I think so.
6: Man, it'd be tough. Yeah, we only had four. Yeah, I mean, you got the guy that invented the safety blitz. Well, I mean, Coriel, Air Coriel. Yep. I I don't know. Yeah. You
2: yeah. know, you got you got you got some yeah. tough choices there. Terry Metcalf. If you're a St. Louis person, Larry sure. Wells. Did you mention Larry Wilson? Yeah. The okay. better of the safety blitz. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's and Jackie Smith. You mm-hmm. had four Hall of Famers from right. the football Cardinals. It's a, that's a hard r- Mount Rushmore for a team that or for a city that has not had an awful lot of winning success. We have a lot of good, real good players to choose from. Did you guys see uh, Kurt Warner's tweet today? Oh yeah, about Kendall Hinton.
6: No, I or, think it was. I need to look at. It. I think he said he only spent four years in St. Louis. Ninety-eight,
2: ninety-nine, 2000, 01, two thousand, oh one, oh two, oh three. I think it was six. But four, basically, Force. ninety-nine, two thousand, oh one, and oh two as a player. Right. Uh, let me look for as, it. As the start talk amongst yourselves. Here. Yeah, which is. True. And the most amazing thing, and Michelle, I've I've said this to you before, it's remarkable to me that after winning his second MVP and taking a team to a Super Bowl, he only made seven starts for the Rams after that, and he was 30 years old when they cut him. He
6: says uh, here, he said, just thinking out loud, dot, 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 still find it hard to believe I really only played. Okay, so still find it hard to believe I really only played. That's the part of this. Four years for the Rams. Things that make you say... Hmm. Question mark with the emoji thinking. Yeah. That is hard to believe. Yeah. So he played, he was here six, but really only played four. I wonder right. what he's trying to say there. Like why it only lasted yeah. four, I guess. Well, and which I
2: think about too. When you talk about the leadership of the organization, that's the kind of thing where when Mike Martz goes in to say to John Shaw, I want to cut Kurt Warner, John Shaw says, Well, you can't. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> you, you keep the quarterback. And I, or I just love say Mike.
3: no. Period. Yeah, yeah.
2: Bye, <laughs> Mike. In 2001, 02, 03, 04, 05. Part of 05. So five and a half years. He won 56 games from the time that he stopped coaching in the middle of 2005 with his health issues until the team left in 2015. They won 54 more. Mm-hmm. So he he did a great job. But you always keep the quarterback, and Kurt proved that when he went to the Super Bowl with the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm.
6: You, you uh, I was, I, I, I was following you. I, well, I follow both of you on Twitter, but I was following your conversation. Somebody uh, had commented on Twitter. I guess it was yesterday about an article in uh, Jacksonville, yeah. and they're they're trying to get renovations to their stadium or try to get a new stadium before publicly they, funded, right? With the lease, Shad Khan. Uh, has ties to the area? And would he think about coming to St. Louis? And um, it picked up some steam and you jumped in and basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, but you know, this is a different time, different era in St. Louis business.
2: Yeah, those were Shad Khan's words. He said, St. Louis is a different place. And it is. It used to be a real Fortune 500 and headquarters, centerpiece city. When we had AB and Monsanto and Ralston Purina and TWA and American Airlines, and we had a couple of different, well, we had each of the American automakers here. We had the Chrysler plant in Fenton, no longer there. Uh, you had Corvettes made mm-hmm. here. Uh, you, you had the Ford plant in Hazelwood, no longer there. So y- you had so much more going from a business standpoint. And then he he said that after the Rams had left before he knew the damage that the Rams had done to the corporate community here, which is another aspect to this. And as you know, in dealing with corporate St. Louis, Dan, people are all in on the MLS. And I I just don't see a scenario in which the NFL comes back here and succeeds because I don't think there are enough people that would trust the NFL enough to partner with them.
6: And the tentacles of um, of charitable... That's the 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 sad part that I found about this is when they left the charities that uh, it affected. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the charities that counted on the Rams, man, oh man, is just gone. I mean, gone. Yeah, it was just
2: cut right then and there and gone. And Enterprise has picked up a lot of oh, what yeah. they did and. The, uh, that's, that's sad. Let, let me give you an example. <clears throat> there there was an awards uh, uh, scholarship program with the National Football Foundation that the Rams sponsored while they were here. They leave and the money isn't there anymore. And I suggested to Bob Button from the National Football Foundation, I said, send a letter to Michael Bidwell. Yeah, he I did, know what you're talking about. And the Arizona Cardinals fund fund funded that scholarship yep. now.
6: And a field. Yeah. And a locker room. And took mm-hmm. care of that. Right. And, and quietly did. did it. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it was amazing that they did it and stepped up and said, we'll we'll handle that.
2: Yeah, yep. so just that, just that little bit of philanthropy is more than Stan Kroenke ever did by mm-hmm. himself. The The organization itself, you're right, was a huge part of philanthropy here in St. Louis. But Michael Bidwell versus Stan Kroenke, Michael Bidwell wins. Yep. Without it out. And it's sad.
6: Uh, Coming up, uh, we're going to talk COVID-19, everybody's favorite topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rick Lehman coming up. And we're going to talk about how sports is continuing to try to get through this through the pandemic, with football, basketball, upcoming with baseball. Uh, Rick, obviously, one of the preeminent doctors in St. Louis, always, I call him instant offense. So we'll talk about that, Um, and basically also, not just uh, sports, but just in general, how we as a society are trying to get through this, what's happening with the vaccine, how it gets rolled out, and we are, uh, I think, two weeks from today when the first vaccine could be rolled out for Society. So we'll get into that with Rick Lehman. Looking
2: forward to that. Okay. If you missed anything on today's show, check out the podcast brought to you by I Promise. Thanks to our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Thank you, sir. Good job. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Michelle, thank you as well.
3: Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow.
2: And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis.
1: You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast powered by I Promise.
7: Let me guess.
5: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1
3: to learn more and start your free trial.
7: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.